everybody, welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. It's been a while. Uh, we know that we've been a little inconsistent the last couple weeks, but that's been real life lately. Uh, I mostly blame myself and not you, Ross. How you doing? Uh, well, I like that, so I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I know you've been busy and stuff too, and it comes down to... I have a little, like, during certain weeks, I have a little more free time than you do, and sometimes it just doesn't line up. And then there's other weeks where you might not have free time on, like, one or two days, but you do the other three, and I'm just completely out those days. Yeah, we haven't really overlapped very well recently. Yeah, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, my uh, my side gig, like my part-time job, whatever you want to call it, you know, doing commentary for Your Channel budding Fireball. career? My budding career for Channel Fireball, yeah. And it's... It's been difficult to be able to find free time on certain days, you know, because a lot of the times when I'm doing an event on like a Friday, Saturday, also my Fridays and Mondays are like they're no good, you know, and I can't I can't do this while I'm you know out of town. You know, if I'm in Dallas or Cincinnati, like I've been the last two weekends and, you know, that gives me what Tuesday, Wednesday, pretty much Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Tuesdays and Thursdays are very, very busy for Ross. And sometimes on those Wednesdays, I'm busy, or Ross is busy doing uh, his community work that he does on Wednesdays. So everybody at home, don't feel sorry for us. We feel sorry that we're not, you know, doing this enough for y'all. We will try to be better about this in the future. But that's just kind of like letting y'all know what's been up. We haven't been neglecting you on purpose. No, we've just been, uh, yeah, busy with things. But we found some time on a sort of awkward day today. We're re- recording this on a Monday. Uh, I was able to finish writing my article a little bit early because I already had it pretty well planned out. My article, unsurprisingly, which uh, will be live by the time y'all are listening to this, is just an explanation of the two decks I am playing this weekend uh, with my current lists. Now, I will say that, you know, those lists are subject to change, but very likely not by much. Um, so really in-depth there, just my thoughts entering the tournament about what I think the metagame is going to be and uh, you know, and how the tournament is going to run. Uh, because this really is a very unique tournament in the history of Magic. You know, uh, you know, obviously we're coming back from a generation-defining event that has left us all on the sidelines for major in-person Magic events. And while there have been some in-person events over the last couple months, I don't think any of them have the same... Uh, Gravitas? You know, yes, that, that this one does. So really on, on another level here with the Invitational coming up this weekend. So my article is about my, you know, my specific decks and, and choices, but we're going to talk about that a lot today as well. Uh, just where both of us think the tournament is going to go, where the metagames for both formats are going to go, how it's all going to play out um, in a myriad of different ways. But first, we need to talk about non-magic things because that's how we do things. And obviously, because we've been busy, we've had a lot of non-magic things happen. Yeah, exactly. And real quick, man, I had that one like loaded and ready to go. The gravitas, like just like I don't know why, just in my brain, it's maybe it's from doing commentary the last two weekends in a row. You kind of pick up on speech patterns of people, and you know when they're about to like have a hesitation, and you're supposed to pick up the ball. And not that you couldn't think of a word there, I was just like that thing was loaded and ready to go. That was a it was a better word than what I was going to say. So Okay, well good, cuz usually it's the other way around. <laughs> you have to pick me up. Uh and you know, we'll get into it later, but I do want to make a quick mention, make sure you check out our sponsor at barristerandman.com. That's man with two ends, barristerandman.com. MTG rants that you check out for 15% off. But let's talk about some non-magic stuff for a little bit because uh that's what's really been dominating my world the last couple weeks. Uh the the, the main thing I I assume most people here, you know, as gamers has kept up with um, is, you know, like you said, I've got a, a small budding career starting with Channel Fireball doing commentary for Flesh and Blood. 
And uh, it's been really interesting the last two weeks. I, I had back-to-back weekends doing events, and they were awesome. They were both limited. And this limited format is, without getting into you know details or whatever, it's very, very good. Like, extremely, extremely good in the fact that it has a lot of nuance to it. And it was rewarding a lot of the good players, which I think, you know, but the 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 ones you still, the better player didn't always win. So it was a really, really good sign of a good format. And, um, you know, we started in Dallas-Fort Worth and noted Magic player, SCG grinder, and member of like the Canadian team, even though he lives in Florida now, Tarek Patel showed up in Dallas-Fort Worth. He like mentioned, he like uh, messaged me and he's like, I've been playing a ton. I've been practicing. I think I'm going to show up to Dallas. Like I'm, I've been doing pretty well, right? He gets very unlucky and finishes ninth, right? Uh, I watch his games. He like p- plays perfect. He picks picks all his draft picks perfect. Like you could just see that he gets it, right? So he's like, "Hey, should I go to Cincinnati next week?" And I was like, "There's no way you can skip this event next week." So obviously he shows up to Cincinnati this weekend and he pulls a me, loses a very close game in the finals. Uh, after pacing the tournament the entire time, he had more wins than he, he had lapped the field. You know, he had he had wow. a full win more than everyone else, which just utterly dominating the tournament, right? His seal deck was insane day one, and he went undefeated, and then he just started crushing through through drafts. I think he finished day one at ten and one. We played eleven rounds day one. They added an extra round. It was uh, it was brutal in some ways. You know, it's a long day of casting, but I had two new people in the booth that had never done it for Flesh and Blood before, and that actually helped a ton. You know, they brought a lot of uh, energy and enthusiasm. Not that I didn't have it, obviously, but it helped to have that fresh blood. You know what I'm talking about? Like that fresh. Uh, eyes on it, you know, fresh opinions, and they were just genuinely excited to be there. So that was awesome. Nice. Yeah. So the events were really good. Then there's been this other thing going on. If you follow me on Twitter, I'm sure you've seen me just spam Twitter about it. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Ross, but the Atlanta Braves are in the World Series. I did see that, Hannon. And I know you're a little mad about your Red Sox not making it, and you did post that chat that I have through here, but I'm I'm pretty positive y'all got really unlucky losing to the Astros. I really thought their pitching was not going to be able to hold up after what happened in the first yeah. two games. You told me that they weren't that the pitching wasn't going to hold up, and then Boston scored one run in like 23 innings. Yep. Here's the thing. I'm I'm not the end all be all. Obviously, uh, I think yeah, clearly. I, I think everyone who was looking at it from an outside perspective, right? Like if you didn't have a, uh, a dog in the fight, I hate using that phrase actually, by the way, you know, if you didn't have a horse in the race, I think is a better way to put it. If you didn't have a horse in the race, I think everyone looking outside would have been like, I think Houston has, you know, a 30% chance to win from here, 20% chance to win from here. Uh, for people, who, if you weren't following it, um, the Red Sox were crushing Houston pitching the first two games their starters were getting out of the first or second inning. Their bullpen was super taxed, and they had injuries across their pitching staff. So, like, they were in a very, very bad spot and then ended up getting just heroic performances game after game in a row by their pitching, and the Red Sox bats just completely fell flat in the last few games, which is how they got to the postseason, really. I mean, their pitching was fine this year, but they really had one of the better lineups in the American oh, yeah. League, maybe only surpassed by the Astros themselves. <laughs> and you know maybe the Yankees at times like you know I never talked about how great the Yankees lineup is but I think it's extremely flawed in my opinion but anyway you know Houston has the deepest lineup in the entire major leagues they're going to be going up against the Atlanta Braves who also have a very good and deep lineup but we definitely have the advantage on defense especially in the infield and I do think our pitching staff as a whole is a little bit better the problem is going to be is if Houston pitches remotely well in the series they're going to be very hard to beat because they're going to score a lot of runs. It doesn't matter how good your pitching is. They're going to score runs. You know, this is like 
you know, if you're a football team, think about your football team is a dominating, dominating defense, right? And you're against like the Patriots when they had Randy Moss, right? You know, like, you know, Brady at the height of his of his physical prowess with like really good receivers. Like they're just going to score on you. You just you'd have to keep you have to ask the question how many times, you know, kind of thing. Um the experience of watching the Braves this year make the World Series. I want to say it's like the most rewarding one of my life, you know, because they've made it multiple times in my life. The last one being 1999. So we're looking at, you know, uh, quite a number of years since the last time they won the pennant. You know, I remember you got spoiled when you were a kid by being a fan of a team that was consistently contending, made multiple World Series, won one in what, 95? Uh, 97. 95 was a strike, right? No, 94 was a strike. We won in 95. We won. We lost in 97. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, not 97 was the Marlins, and then 96, yeah. 98, 99, 2000 was the Yankees. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I thought that way. It's definitely 95. Uh, Tom Glavin sealed it with a one-hitter against the Cleveland Indians. And I can still remember the the call. They like, hit it to center field, and I think it was like Otis Nixon makes the catch. And the announcer was like, the Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. You know, because, like, we were expected to win so many. You know, yeah. we had three Hall of Famers on our pitching staff, multiple Hall of Famers in our lineup, even though one of them's only in. I'm still, to this day, very angry, and I will fight you over Andrew Jones making it to the Hall of Fame. He definitely deserves to be there. Yeah, I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah, and so it's been a very rewarding season because, and, you know, just being honest, I, I gave up this year. I really did. Like, mentally, physically, you know, emotionally, I gave up on the team. We were under 500, not playing really well. The Mets had, like, a seven-game lead on us. And then Ronald Acuna Jr. blew his knee out. You know, our best player, one of the probably like top three players in the entire league, you know, has a freak accident trying to catch a ball in right field. And he's just on the ground, you know, writhing in pain. And I was sick to my stomach. You know, I wanted to throw up. I wanted to cry. It was awful. And I was like, yeah, our season's done. Our team was like falling apart. And the team kept grinding. The fans kept showing up meaning, you know, money was coming in, which is a big deal because the Atlanta Braves are publicly owned by a company. They're the only ones in the major leagues like that. So they can't just go to their owner and be like, hey, can we have some extra money to improve our team? It has to be approved by like a board, you know, like, hey, we've had enough, um, you know, we've made enough money this year. We have enough excess cash. You can go find some players. So they make about four to six trades around the trade deadline and just hit on every single one of them and <laughs> they start playing out of their mind right they uh the NL least was a joke of how bad it was this year coming in it was you know touted to be the most talented division of baseball thing i said that on the show and the braves you know squeak into the postseason and just start going nuts right you know they beat the milwaukee brewers like pretty handily we just beat the defending champion of the dodgers which it was kind of I was kind of angry watching the series overall because the whole time the the rhetoric around it was the Dodgers lost the series, right? It was never Atlanta won the series. It was the Dodgers lost the series, and we got lucky because you know the Dodgers had you know Trevor Bauer not playing because of sexual assault. Whenever we don't know if he's going to pick up a baseball ever again on a major league mound. Uh, you know Max Muncy dislocated an elbow and wasn't playing, and then. Uh, I feel they misused some of their pitchers and it cost them as well. Like Scherzer got scratched from a start because I think he got, he just had a dead arm from having to like come in out of the bullpen and start. But you know, that no one sees that coming. So he's probably like, I'm, I'm good to go, you know, kind of thing. Like there's no way he wasn't forced out there, you know, kind of thing. And they had to get a couple other nagging things and they just kept talking about it over and over on TV. And they just like never mentioned the fact, like you just never heard Ronald Cooney Jr.'s name, you know, that he's like one of the best players in baseball. 
you know, uh, they didn't talk about Mike Soroka, like not playing for the Braves at all this year, who was their ace two years ago, you know, cause he, cause he blew his Achilles out. You know, they didn't talk about the other injuries that we had, how we were on our third different outfield. Literally, the three outfielders who started were outfielders seven, eight, and nine to play for us this year. Think about that. Seven, eight, and nine differently. Um, you know, they didn't talk about some of the, you know, they didn't talk about Marcelo Zuna, who was in the same boat as Trevor Bauer, who almost won the Triple Crown in the National League last year. Just, you know, you know, casual Triple Crown winner. We've had one in the last 50-something years, you know, win the Triple Crown and stuff like that. And so, but, you know, the, the Dodgers lost. The Braves definitely didn't win. But... It was an insane series to watch. Uh, some Herculean performances from multiple people, like Eddie Rosario, Rosario Jr. went out of his mind. You know, he won NLCS uh, MVP. Trevor Matzik pitched in almost every game this postseason. I think he got one game off, and he's been literally unhittable, like, the entire time. It's a reliever for our team. There was a really beginning. We were up 4-1 to one in the clinching game, and uh, the Dodgers up scoring a run, and then they got runners on second and third and nobody out. And so they bring in Tyler Matzik, like just trying to hold the game because it's four to two and there's two runners in scoring position. And like pretty much I've resigned in my mind. I'm like, this is going to be a tie game, but hopefully we, we stop it there. Like hopefully we can somehow get out of this only one run allowed, but it's probably going to be two, right? Tyler Matzik comes in and just strikes out the side on 11 pitches. No one gets the ball out of the infield. So no runs score. Uh, being... All of it being capped by Mookie Betts coming up and getting blown away on three straight fastballs. One of the best fastball hitting uh, hitters in the entire league just got made to look a fool at home plate. And right then and there, I think this was the fifth or sixth inning. I think it was the sixth inning, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. I think it was the seventh, actually. This was the seventh inning. And right then and there, I actually started to believe. And I did before, but, you know, we're up 3-1 at this point. But we were up 3-1 last year in the series, and the Dodgers famously came back and beat us in the World Series. And... It's always in the back of your mind. It's always in the back of your mind. But this year just felt different. You know, we we feel like a real. You know, what I mean, you feel. You know, you could feel it with your team. You like everyone's performing well. They believe in themselves, etc. And then you know, we ended up holding on to win. And uh, I teared up. You know, I got emotional. I was yelling uh, for the first half of the game. I was at a bar with some people from the flesh and blood community, and I was the only person watching it. So I'm like going nuts, and like no one knows why I'm yelling. Uh, the guy behind the bar happened to be a Mets fan, so he at least gave me a high five because he's like, hey, I hate the Dodgers too. And uh, so that was fun. But then the second half, I had to watch from my hotel room by myself. And uh, I was yelling so much that someone actually came by and knocked on my door and asked if I was okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, man, so I'm someone good. Someone from the hotel? Yeah, is that or somebody? I don't, I'm not sure I didn't open the door, but somebody at the hotel was like, you know, like, hey, you all right in there? And I was like, yeah, man, I'm good. <laughs> you know, like, because I'm just in there just yelling my head off, you know, especially when he strikes out Mookie Betts. I went nuts. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, just an absolutely, you know, crazy couple of days for me. I'm having to do this around watching. I mean, I'm doing my job in um, Cincinnati for Flesh and Blood, but thankfully, I got to kind of, and this happened in Dallas too. I had to like get out and watch the games. Thankfully, the timing was utterly perfect for me to be able to watch the games to literally run out of the building and find a TV as quickly as possible. And now the new stress, and I'm waiting to hear back on this tonight and tomorrow, is trying to find tickets for the World Series. Uh, so they're going to be playing against the Houston Astros. So Houston's drivable for me, or I could just jump on an airplane, right? And I think I'm probably going to a game there. Uh, you know, Jonathan Job, uh, you know, very one of my best friends, right? You know, was in my wedding. He's a huge Astros fan. Uh, he's. I'm waiting for a call from him to confirm if we're going to get seats for one of the two games at start because the first two games are in Houston. And I'll definitely go into enemy territory wearing, you know, all my brave stuff and just start yelling at people. I don't care. Let's go. Bring it. Right. 
And then I'm trying to get tickets for a game in Atlanta as well. I'll just hop on a plane, fly over there. And I've got a couple people that are going to go with us if we can get tickets. We just have to try to, like, actually get tickets. The hardest part is trying to get them at a reasonable price. Because a lot of this is getting um, scalped, you know. So I've seen tickets for standing room only as high as $900. And I'm willing to spend $1,000 a game (laughs) or whatever, you know, like, Obviously, if it goes to one twenty, you know, eleven hundred or whatever, I'm probably not going to balk at that either, right? But yeah. that's the big thing this week. Uh, <laughs> trying to get a hold of all that. If you had asked me what I thought your line was for tickets, I would have gone higher than a thousand. Well, if if I'm going to multiple games, sure, right? You know, like I, I mean, don't get me wrong. If if the right situation presents itself, I'm just going to go. The biggest problem is the three games in Atlanta because it goes two, three, two. It goes two yeah. in Houston, three in Atlanta, two, two in Houston, or on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and their games like three, four, and five. And games four, five, and six. I mean, obviously you don't get game seven very often, but games five and six are very popular games for for seats, and the tickets usually get very expensive because that's generally going to be the last game of the series, right? Yeah. And so, and so people are trying to be in the building when your team clinches, right? Like, like imagine if I get tickets for game five, and we just like win the series four or one while I'm in Atlanta. I you 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 might not ever hear from me again. I might just get somehow lost in the the woods in Atlanta, just partying. We all, I also might not hear from you again if you go to a game in Houston wearing Braves uh, clothing and start yelling at people. So yeah, fair I'm, point. I'm I'm setting aside a little nest egg for your funeral. Don't worry. Okay, fair, fair point. Fair point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I will, I will give you a proper burial. Bury I'll, me under I'll, the a. Yeah, I'll sneak. I'll sneak into the stadium at night. Just yeah. dig a hole right in, right in like left center field. Nobody yeah. will know. Nobody will ever know. They'll never know. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's what's going on. And then um, I've got my last Flesh and Blood event of the year in two weeks in Orlando, Florida. And that's going to be the national championships as well. So that's going to be like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday Sunday thing. So I'm I'm going to be gone four or five days. So that week, uh, you definitely probably are going to be hearing from a different secondary person on this cast along with Ross. We're going to try to get maybe somebody really cool on the show. What do you think? Somebody funny? We only allow cool people on the show, Tim. Well, everyone that's on the show is cool anyway. So. Yeah, that's our that's our rule. You have to be cool. They're cool by association. So, I mean, if you're on, MT- if you're on MTG Rants, then you're cool. So we'll have to, you know, deal with some of that. Um, hopefully that'll be an easy thing for you. I'll try to start, start setting that up now. Um, but you know, it's been, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. I've been traveling a lot. I'm not a big fan of it, honestly, but, uh, you know, it's mostly me in airports where everyone's fully masked into an Uber where everyone's fully masked into either the site where everyone's fully masked or into my hotel. And that's practically it. You know, every now and then I go into a restaurant and that's it. And then in between the events, I've been doing almost nothing. <laughs> I like barely leave my house. Cause like, I just can't get sick. You know, if I even have an inkling that I have, you know, a symptom of COVID, then I just can't go on these events because that's just, A, not very cool because I'm going to be mask off next to another person for, you know, a period of the day while I'm doing the show. And B, like, I just won't be able to do my job, right? And so that's a pretty big deal because I do like getting paid. You know, I do like I do like being able to, yeah, because other, otherwise I can't afford these tickets that we've been talking about, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to go to these baseball games. Or the food I need to live. Or the food that I really like to eat. Yeah, exactly. I really enjoy eating. So, uh, But anyway, uh, enough about that stuff. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to talk about real quick before we get into uh, some magic talk for today? I just wanted to make sure and be very clear with you that although I'm mostly over what you did to the Red Sox last week, 
if you do anything similar to the Utah Jazz, I will come for you. I'm just not going to even like make a statement about the Utah Jazz. I'm just I'm just letting you know. Yeah, I mean baseball. I mean baseball. Basketball is dead to me anyway. Like my team sucks. <laughs> uh, who knows what's going to happen with Zion? If he's going to even like play any. T- I mean, no one even really knows 100 percent of what's going on. Like, so no, no, no one knows at all. New Orleans yeah. is just a complete shit show. They've been very, very poorly managed as a franchise. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, it, it's that, and, like, it kind of sucks, right? Like, we've had three really good franchise players in the last, what, two decades, you know, with Chris Paul into Anthony Davis and now into Zion, right? You know, two of the most yeah. can't-miss prospects coming out of college, and we've got them with, like, the number one pick or whatever, right? And, I mean, when you're in this kind of, I mean, if you've seen Moneyball, you can, you you know, the baseball movie Moneyball, we're like the Oakland A's, right? But we're not as smart as they are. And uh, as well run as they are. But we're in the money situation, right? It's not a big market. We can't afford to keep our stars. We try to put teams together around them. Like, they tried really hard to make the teams good enough around Anthony Davis. You know, we got Drew Holiday. They had some good teams around Chris Paul. Yeah, that too. With David West as the second Mm -hmm. banana. They won 54 games one year. Yeah, yeah. We actually, yeah, we won some playoff series too. I remember there's a year, like, like, you know, we were beating up the Blazers. I think there's a year where, like, we either beat up or really put a good run on Dallas one year as well back when they were pretty good and stuff, but, you know, it's just never worked out, you know, so it's, it's hard, it's hard to be a fan when you know there's, like, there's no chance, right? You know, there's just, like, you you get what I'm trying to say there, it's like, there's, it's like the the Hawkeye meme, like, don't give me hope. Yeah, For, for most teams, you're waiting until you get the opportunity to have, to draft a superstar, and then you can start thinking, okay, we got a chance, we just have to build around him. For your team, you've done that three times in the last 15 years, and it still hasn't worked. <laughs> like, uh, that's uh, yeah, that's a, a rough place to be in. Um, although the 538's projection system really liked New Orleans for some reason this year. I think they just overrated how many games Zion was going to play, um, because I know that like their projections were heavily um, affected by their projections for minutes played for people, and they were, you know saying Steph is probably only going to play 60, 65 games or, you know, how many games KD or any of the guys that have had recent injuries are going to play. So um, I'm not sure if they, they got the number right on Zion because I have no fucking clue what's going on with him. But the Jazz are 2-0, so that's good. Though we, we've played Oklahoma City and Sacramento in the first two games who have a, uh, started the season to combine 1-5. and five. Uh, So their their first test is going to be two, this Tuesday, so tomorrow, against uh, Denver. Yeah, real quick, the, the, the last thing I'll, I'll say about the NBA, and I like this, is uh, there's there's this part of me that kind of gleefully laughs at the fact that it looks like the Nets and the Lakers are having a problem right now. Like, they don't look good. They're not playing well. You know, like, um, what was it? Cedric tweeted, he's like, you know, it's hard to under, it's hard to decide who's worse between these two teams, LOL, you know, kind of thing. And there's part of me that kind of loves it because, like, uh, there's part of me that doesn't like the whole, like, build the super team thing. Because, like, if you just didn't have these teams, like, do you know how, like, how much of a favorite the Utah Jazz would be? You're, like, one of the most complete teams in the league, like, top to bottom. But instead, you know, all you hear about is the Lakers with, like, the 18 superstars, you know, 30 scoring title, four MVPs. Like, it's just stupid. Like, But it's just, like, it's just two superstars and a bunch of ring chasers. And it's just big names like Carmelo and and Russ. And, like... Carmelo's not really, he's not really, I mean, obviously he had a big night, but he's not a real game changer anymore. No, he's you know, a replacement the t- level player. Yeah, we're at the twilight of his career here, right? And like Russ is going to take 
uh, probably a good bit of time to figure out where he fits on that Laker team because he's not asked to be the same player he was over the last six years where he's just like, I'm going to triple-double every night, you know? Yeah. And, like, he's – it's not – the thing is, he's played with good players most of the time, right? He's played with KD or with Harden or with Paul George. uh, And I I don't know what he's capable of doing when he's not the featured ball handler in the lineup because he's not spacing the floor at all. People like watch any game he's in. If he is standing on the corner, that his defender is sagging it all the way into the paint. They oh, don't, nobody gives a shit. Yeah, yeah. If Russ takes takes a shot, if, uh, from if you're three. playing against the if you're playing against the Lakers, I think one of the best ways for you to win right now is you want Russ to take 20, 20 plus shots. Yeah, well, that's been true for the last four years, no matter what team Russ has been on. So, <laughs> hey, 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 look, at least let me sound smart, Russ. Come on, I, but that, my, that's, my, maybe that's the secret. Like he, he puts up these huge, these huge counting numbers, and but his efficiency keeps going down and down. And if you look deeper, like he doesn't get to the rim as often as he used to because he really he's what like 31, 32? Yeah, he's a little slower than he used um, to be, yeah. yeah, and so like he's losing some of that athleticism. He's not getting to the rim as easily. He's not finishing at the rim as well. And his, you know, his shooting has always been bad, but it's been masked by his ability and drawing fouls. It's been masked by his ability to just beat his man off the dribble and either get fouled, get to the rim, or uh, draw another defender so he can pass to the now open shooter. So, but if he's not doing those three things because of declining athleticism, how does his game transition? Also, all great players have to find a way to adjust their game as they age and they can no longer do the same things that they used to do. You know, Jordan wasn't always like, you know, a dominant mid-range player with that incredible fadeaway. Um, you know, not to say he was bad at those things, but he was like, he, he developed those things, uh, later in his career. LeBron, you know, developed his shot more later in his career and, you know, he became an even better passer really, uh, when compared to when you find, you know, see him earlier, and I don't know how Russ transitions to a later stage of his career. And then they, this and the entire Lakers team just seems so stubborn because AD just doesn't want to play the fucking five. And there's just no goddamn way you can play Russell Westbrook, AD, and another big man on the floor in the NBA in 2021. The, the, yeah, the spacing just wasn't like, there. Yeah. yeah, there is just not a single person on the planet that thinks you can play basketball this way in 2021 in the NBA, except apparently for Anthony Davis. Like, and like, he's just got to get over it and realize that he's a fucking five. And I just don't understand why he doesn't do that. It's, it's so obvious, but uh, like it, it, oh, it's hilarious. I hope this Lakers team just crashes and burns. I don't know if I want to see them like squeak through the play in games, give their fans hope and then get lose in the first round or to see them completely miss the play in games, which I don't think they will do. I think they'll figure something out. They just have too much talent, but like this, I don't view the Lakers as a real contending team. I just don't. You know, maybe something changes later in the season. They figure they figure a lot of stuff out. I've been hearing rumblings about a LeBron Russ pick and roll, uh, and it, but you can't do that if you have AD and another big on the floor. Like I don't give a shit what people say about AD. He's not a shooter either. He shoots. He's an, he's a very overrated shooter because of the run he had in the bubble uh, when they won their recent title. So it, it's um. It's been a fun, you know, first two weeks of the NBA right. season. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Magic. Actually, we're going to talk a lot about a lot today. 
is the like you know previewing the envy like ross is going to be playing it as well i'm sure a lot of people listening to this as well are going to make their way out to the invitational or they're going to make their way out to the channel fireball event later this you know later i say this month less than a month from now uh late november as well which i am still in play for that you know i was talking to a bunch of people and this was one of the things you know i didn't say uh some people were asking like you know oh we're we gonna go and i'm like i'm not sure yet i'm 50 50 but i really want to i'm leaning towards going this was actually the reason why I didn't explain to anybody. I just didn't want to jinx it. I was like, if the Braves make the World Series, I'm going to games. And, like, I don't know if I can afford to go to Vegas after. I, it's just, like, fiscally irresponsible kind of thing. But uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on. But I actually wanted to, uh, to ask you a question, a question real quick because this, this kind of came up. And it shocked me today when I saw this. Have you seen the price of Solitude lately? It's like 60 70 right? The cheapest one online right now that you can possibly buy is $58. This card was just a $20 bill for like a long time, but you know, markets like closer to 60 or 70 right now. And that might be a hard one to get. Yeah. And uh, I kind of wish I had sat on more of them. And you know, you and I talked about this the other day about, uh, you know, how good Fury was and people were complaining about it in the set and, like, that was, like, the one to really spec on. Same thing as Endurance, but Endurance has gone down from, like, a $30 card to, like, a $20 card. Grief's down to, like, 11 bucks, And Solitude's just, like, worth more than all of them combined now. And, uh, I mean, we kind of saw this coming. Like, we knew this was a good card. But I think the big thing about this is over the last few months, and I don't know if this has kind of gone into your mind a little bit when preparing for Modern, is... You know, we've seen decks that have this in it, right? Like, you know, the typical decks. Like I've seen Kiki Cord of White in it and some other random decks. But I think people are starting to really see how good and well-positioned blue-white control and blue-white decks in general have been in, in Modern. And, like, Solitude is just a really, really great card in those decks. You know, not only do you have Force of Negation, so now when you tap out, you have some ways to protect yourself. But now you have Solitude as well, you know, to do crazy things when you, you know, you're tapped out or you don't have a bunch of mana open. And people are starting to realize, you know, I saw some rhetoric on uh, on the website, aka Twitter today, talking about people have just forgot about how good Teferi is as well as a magic card. People are starting to get it now. And, you know, this was a this was a byproduct that we talked about. Uh, I was talking to somebody about recently, and I didn't really think about it when, when the card got uh, printed into Modern, but having the card Counterspell along with 5-man Teferi is just awesome, right? Like, you get to play it on tap two lands. Now you have Counterspell plus a removal spell up, and you can answer literally everything in the format at that point. And so uh, this is an interesting thing, and I don't know if you've been seeing the you know the rise of these decks, but they've been winning a lot of events and stuff lately. Has this, it, it, you know, done anything to your prep for Modern, or are you kind of just doing your own thing at this tournament? Well, I have an idea, some idea of what I think people will do Though, I will say, specifically for Modern, I, I don't want to make decisions that are too metagame dependent, mm-hmm. at least regarding specific decks. I because can really one, agree with that for this event, because like no one knows what's going to happen at this event, right? Yeah. And I don't expect it to be the typical... Uh, and like this is nothing against anyone playing, but it's not, this isn't like an open in the middle of a season, or an invitation in the middle of a season where we've had a full season of opens, right? This is a one-of event, Coming out of nowhere, people are happy to be there, and they're just going to play what they've got. Is that kind of what you're leading towards? I think I think that's one factor. There's multiple factors that that both that are mutually reinforcing. One is the card availability is going to be a big issue for this tournament. That's actually I, a really good point as well. I, I honestly think it might be an issue for me. I'm literally going to be trying to find cards in the next few days because I'm a natural procrastinator, and that probably wasn't smart. Um, but honestly, like 
if if I had locked in decks a week or two ago, they would be completely different decks than the, than the ones I want to play right now. But I have two decks. I have the decks I want to play. That's what I wrote uh, about this week. Do you but mind telling I, us? I don't. I don't know how much you want to spoil of your. Well, it's uh, mono white aggro in standard and Esper re- spikes list of Esper reanimator in in modern. I think it solves a lot of the issues I had with the previous builds of Esper reanimator and is very powerful. Um, but specifically, I, I think we're going to see a very wide open modern meta game because. There's a lot of people that are going to be playing this tournament that either are playing the deck they want but aren't completely up to date as to how the metagames evolved online, or there's going to be people that are just playing the deck that they have. So I think the metagame is going to be behind where the online metagame is. As usual, but more so. Yeah, and more wide open. So I want to play a deck that is flexible, powerful, and has a proactive game plan. This The Esper Reanimator deck checks all of those boxes. My issue with the previous lists was even though I thought the addition of Moldrifter was a step forward and a necessary addition because it gave you uh, a, a secondary reanimation target that allowed you to play that kind of control game plan where you just grinded them out until you could set up an Archon. I don't. I didn't think it was a robust enough plan to give you know be a fully fledged combo control deck. I think this Ephemerate plan with Grief and uh, Solitude and some Moldrifters. Uh, Spike had three. I, I ideally am going to be playing two. Um, is just that is a significantly more robust control game plan. And you know, w- while everybody kind of poo pooed grief ephemerate because it fell flat early in the format, that wasn't because those two cards aren't powerful and powerful together. The problem was that the decks around them sucked. Like it, it was fifty two bad cards or a bad deck of fifty two cards and those eight. And it, it just didn't come together consistently enough. There aren't really good Orzov cards uh, to be playing there. So, um, you know, the, the, obviously they fell flat. Grief, when it was when it's in the right shell, like it has been in Living End, is still a very good card. I think this is an even better shell for Grief than the Living End deck. So, um, you know, would love to be playing it. But I guess Solitude is the, the hit card this weekend. Unsurprisingly, the card is really, really, really good. Uh, so do you want to we'll know see what happens? <laughs> do you want to know my, one of my favorite parts or my favorite thing about you saying this is your deck for modern is what this is also the deck that I would be playing if I were going and playing in modern uh, this weekend or I'm sorry is it it's next weekend right or is it this weekend it's this weekend this weekend coming up because it's Monday now sorry my brain is fried this is also the deck that I would be playing and I can't remember the last time you and I were both just like yeah like I played this deck in modern is the same deck. For everybody at home that might not have seen this deck, I'm kind of going to read it off to you just real quick because we're you know going to talk about cards in it. But it's got four. Like this, this is the list that Spike used to win the mo- uh, the the modern uh, event online. Uh, what are they called again? <laughs> just completely blank. Challenges. The modern challenge. I kept wanting to call it the modern open. All right. Um, it's obviously just a bunch of Esper lands, but it's four ephemerate, three prismatic endings, four persist, four unmarked grave, four faithful mending, and this is the card that's like really getting that deck to go. Uh, three Teferi Time Raveler, three Mold Drifter, yes, Mold Drifter, four Grief, four Solitude, two Unburial Rites, and I've seen a lot of people cutting that card quite a bit, and four Archon of Cruelty. Uh, you know, the, the Archon of Cruelty was like one of the really big cards to jump in this because it's a card that you can get with Unmarked Grave. It's a non-legendary creature that you can put into your graveyard that has a legendary creature-like effect. Right, because it does this when it attacks and when it enters the battlefield. So it's kind of like you going to get a titan kind of thing, you know. So you know, some big dumb thing that uh, it has that feel of a legendary creature. Plus, it's a flying six-six as well. So kind of hard to kill in this format. You know, it does die to an unholy heat, but 
a little harder to hit with a you know prismatic ending, which is the premier removal spell in the format. But like Ross was saying, so this is a deck that has you know Moldrifter, Grieve, and Solitude. So you have a lot of really robust early game. The fact that you can do the whole you know pitch to grief, pitch to solitude to stay in early games, but you have Ephemerate to go with these as well. Not to mention Ephemerate with Moldrifter is actually like really really good in a lot of matchups. Like I've watched Spike get his hand just utterly torn apart by discard, and then just either evoke a Moldrifter on three or evoke a Moldrifter into Ephemerate on four. Yeah, and like and those kind of things just really pull you pull you back up. Um, the, the the deck is really strong, you know, the and really initially it was just too much of a linear reanimator deck and the combo plan isn't robust enough for you to be a linear deck, right? And one of the benefits of Archon of Cruelty as a reanimation target is that it is quite castable. It's not like, uh, you know, Gura's Vention, Goryozing, and Emrakul. Even Gristlebrand can be tough to cast just because it's uh, so much black mana. Um, you know, the, the Archon is definitely castable in a, as part of like a, a control deck. Um, so you get that benefit too, where you can eventually Archon them if you just stall the game out long enough, no matter how much graveyard hate they have. And the more graveyard hate your opponent draws, the easier it's going to be for you to use your controlling elements to stall out the game. So it kind of plays into it that way with the false tempo. Um, so I think it slots really well into that combo control shell. And as I said earlier, it was just a matter of finding the right controlling elements, the right card advantage, the right disruption in order to make it work and ephemerate grief, solitude, along with just the uh, Teferi and, and Prismatic Ender, which are just phenomenal individual cards, I think it is the right, you know, yeah. uh, shell. Also, when you look at it, like the, the, the problem that when I look at this deck on paper, right, when I see this go on the screen, it looks like it would feel slow. Right, like when you first look at it, right, you know, you don't have a lot of cards in the one slot, and your cards in the two slot don't affect the board. You have Persist, Unmarked Grave, Faithful Mending, and then your three slot is like Mole Drifter to Fairy. But like you said, you've got so much early interaction with Prismatic Ending, and then Grief and Solitude plus Ephemerate with along with Mole Drifter is just enough to keep you going in these first couple uh, turns. Not to mention, you know, Faithful Mending being a card that not only advances your main plan of getting a card into the graveyard. And getting some value off of it, but it digs you deeper into your deck while also gaining you two life, which can be enough in this format to help you out like when you're playing against Burn. By the way, I have watched him play this against Burn and lose a few times, not saying it's a bad matchup, and I would be ready for that matchup at the uh, yes. Invitational. So That's definitely one of the matchups I'm, I'm thinking about. I do think the fact that Archon just gains you life on each trigger mm -hmm. helps you out a lot. Absolutely. Um, he definitely didn't draw like a, a good quick Archon draw, which I think is what you're really looking for in that matchup. Oh, definitely. Um, another thing that could be, I mean, he has his sideboard in here built. A thing that you can, if you're worried about that at home, you want to try to change it up. What is the name of the new Timely Reinforcements, the two-mana one? Do you remember? Sunset Revelry. Sunset Revelry. I think that card is actually pretty dang good. It's also a good one with Faithful Mending that lowers your hand, so you can potentially get the draw out of it too. Yeah, I mean, like, drawing the extra card in a lot of matchups is kind of like, you know, the pipe dream, if that happens, it's amazing. But against, yeah. against you know, a red deck, you know, they're going to have a one drop and do something. If, if you ever gain life plus make two one ones, it's going to be very hard for them to beat you from that point, because you just probably gave yourself an extra two to three turns. Yeah, 
it, it would either be that sunset revelry or the um the rebound spell would be my anti-burn card the, the one that gives you shroud plus gains two life yeah for one mana and yeah that card rebound. is that card is really really sweet i would just so, try to figure out if there's like matchups where one of them is not as good as the other one you get do yeah. you know what i'm saying if there's like two matchups where you want this card in and one of them is slightly better than the other one, i would just lean that way um neither one of them really interacts with another card in any great way right well Teferi getting to instant speed the sorcery version of the other one could maybe be cool, but like I don't think that's a reason to to play one over the other. So, um, yeah, you could also one one thing I've seen some people do is like they're not playing both the unbearable rights or any unbearable rights because like some people think it's just probably too weak of a card for modern, but having another card that you can pitch to mending and not care about is pretty good. But I have seen some people play the fourth uh, ending main. Yeah, I, I, my list currently has two Muldrifter on the fourth ending main. That was the only change I made. I also might go to one on Burial Rights and put the fourth to Fairy main and then have two more Cyber cards that could potentially up with the Burn matchup or whatever other matchup I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so, Because I, I do think you're going to see a lot of aggressive decks as well uh, th- this weekend coming up because, uh, like you said, card availability is a thing, and these are decks people already owned, right? Like they already owned Burn. You know, they already owned uh, Blue Red Prowess. Like, I think you'll probably even see some Amulet, even though we haven't seen Amulet really put up the results in the last few months that you would expect from a deck. I think the modern format as a whole mostly passed it by, uh, you know, online just from the just looking at the results of it. But I think you're going to see it probably represented more than you would think because of the fact that people just own these cards. And it makes sense because a lot of these newer decks either uh, didn't really exist last year or two years ago. You know, they were like very different from then. Or they, you know, use some of the cards that have come out in the last year and a half where people haven't been playing Paper Magic. So, like, that's actually a, a big thing. I think it's a, a good point. I'm assuming you touched on this in your article this week. Um, yeah, you know, that that's definitely a factor for this tournament. Um, more so than really uh, almost any I have played in, in my career. I remember some, some days um, in the Theros arrow where just the the ubiquity of Mutavault in standard sometimes screwed people that just needed Mutavaults and couldn't get them because that was a car that if you couldn't buy it almost nobody was going to loan them to you because they were using them themselves so um that's about the only other time I can really recall that other than you know the ridiculous things that happen like before pro tours when there's a random common that people need and they're like cracking packs to get it or whatever um, but this, I think, is just going to be a more widespread thing. You know, supply lines have been disrupted, so normal, you know, uh, you know, vendors are, are probably going to have less than they otherwise would, and um, you know, online places have less than they would. I'm sure that they haven't gotten as much stock in t- to begin with because they know sales in general are probably down. I don't know the details. This is just kind of me spitballing, but all of it adds to a much more widespread card availability issue than you know would ever really exist so all that makes sense right like when you say all this stuff you're all like yeah that sounds right that sounds correct i can't speak to channel fireball i can't speak to scg how they've done during you know this pandemic i would assume some other stuff has gone down especially in person stuff but i will say this i know that uh my lgs and a few other ones that i'm in contact with like you know talk to owners you know through the relationships you've made over the last you know 20 years of playing magic i know that last year over the last year year and a half they've actually done better in sales for cards stuff like that and like they're like yeah we we killed it like we did really really well you know we were selling out of a lot of our paper stuff you know even when we weren't allowing people in the store to like hang out or they were allowing like 
you could have one to two groups in the store today. You know, it's like, hey, we could have one commander game and one commander game on the other side of the room, and you could have to wear a mask. You know, they weren't trying to pack people in there. Uh, those are out the window, though. Those those ideas are out the window, but at least they're still mask mandating. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it changes from you know area to area, store to store. But I've been glad to see you know some of these stores at least surviving through this because you know there was definitely that sky is falling moment where you're know, like, are these LGSs going to survive? And a lot of them didn't, unfortunately. Yeah. So um, you know, all of that you know as far as the tournament goes adds up to less predictability and, and more variability. So we're we're going to be in for an interesting weekend. the The good news is, Ross, I, I at least I hope are going to be in for a more low-key weekend. I hope most people aren't going into this with the most cutthroat of mindsets. Like, right. it's a one-off tournament. It's Have not getting you, like, points towards, you know, going to a player's championship or anything like that. So, yeah, there's a, a good amount of money on, lo- on the line. You know, you should play seriously. But this should be a, a much easier-going tournament than opens or invitationals in the past. And that, that, that's the mindset I'm taking in with it. The people that I've talked to, that's the mindset they're taking in uh, with it. So I hope we don't get too many people like going nuts of trying to get people to not reveal their companions. The kind of stuff that like we're all going to be a little rusty because we haven't played a lot of Paper Magic. You know, I'm a little bit fortunate there with it having versus around. So, right. you know, I, I, I've been playing six hours a week for the last two years, which, you know, is infinitely more than most people. I'm going to say this, and you can do whatever you want. Anyone listening at home that you're going to this event, you can do whatever you want. But I, I hope you listen to me and you take some of this to heart. Have fun first, compete second, right? Enjoy your time with everybody around you, but be safe, be careful. You know, you know, think about the people around you, right? Have fun. You know, if, you, if you're competitive, that's fine. But make sure you're having fun and the other person is having fun. And two... You mentioned like the revealing the companion thing, the little things like that. I, I would let that slide. If someone forgets to reveal a companion, realizes it halfway through the game, I'm like, yeah, you you obviously have a companion. Like, I'm just gonna let them have that. Like, while I can be quote unquote cutthroat or rules lawyer about some stuff, like if you make a play and something happens, like, and then you realize it afterwards, like that's there's not really anything you can do, right? Like information has been gained and garnered, like blah blah blah. But if someone's like, oh, I've just like never played this in paper before let me reveal my luris and it's like they're obviously playing you know jund luris or red white burn luris you know deck that has that card like just just let them have it you know because like here's the thing you'd want you'd want that back right you'd want someone in if you were in the situation you'd want your opponent to at least give you that little bit of courtesy because i don't think that one is while I'm a, I'm a, I am a stickler for the rules and a lot of things, I, I think that one in particular, the um, the companion and paper, I think I think should be like a little lax and let slide this weekend. Not saying you got to do it, Ross, but I would personally. Yeah, and I definitely plan to. So, you know, with a it's it's going to be an interesting tournament from the competition perspective because we're in this unique situation. But you know, ultimately, the most exciting part about this weekend is getting to play a big paper magic event for the first time in a year and a half or even longer. So that's what I'm looking forward to most. Hopefully I get to play some good games. Hopefully it's not too stressful putting together these decks, though I'm sure it will be, (laughs) but it's, um, you know, it's going to be a a great weekend. We've already got some uh, extracurricular activities in the works. 
can I can I comment on that? Because I think that's actually a really good point. Is like I think the cool thing that I've seen on Twitter is I've seen that people are excited for this weekend, and everyone's making plans for what they're doing not at the Invitational instead of hey, can I get these cards? What are you playing? Like worrying about like you know blah blah blah. Obviously, people are like trying to get cards, but it seems like almost everyone has the mindset that I was just talking about. Like I'm there to have fun. The Invitational is like kind of a secondary thing. Yeah, uh, and that's the mindset I've seen. I hope the, you know, I, th- I think we are in a bit of a bubble in that respect. Like, we're, we're mostly communicating with, uh, you know, grinders and people of that ilk. And the majority of people attending these are, uh, you know, sort of lo- more local casual players. That said, it's it tends to be the local casual players that don't bring as much of the sort of nonsense that that the grinders can often bring. So... You know, the, that, the problems we're discussing are more often drawn by us. So the fact that our bubble is expressing these sentiments is, is definitely a good thing and is what makes me, you know, very optimistic about this weekend. Because I think you could also think it might be something different where, like, the people that go that normally will have that mindset of, I'm playing to win, I'm not going to let my opponent, get, you know, get anything, th- this is a weekend where they can gain a significant edge right? Like everyone's going to be rusty. Everyone's going to be out of practice. Everyone's going to be a little sloppy. And if you want to hold people to the letter of the law, you're going to be able to garner significant benefit from it. And if too many people take that attitude, it really can sour the entire event. And like, here's a good way to kind of explain what Ross is getting at in my particular stance on the the thing. I am in no way going to have I am in no way going to have any regret missing this weekend when it comes to the actual tournament itself. I am not going to care one bit. When I watch opens, I regret not being there. When I watch invitationals, I know there's no coverage, but when I watch events or I hear about events, I'm always like, "Damn. Wish I went." Especially when I see a deck that I like top 8 or win. I'm like, "Man, I wonder if I could have won if I went that weekend and played that deck." You know, those kinds of things. When I hear people talk about what they're doing at the invitational, you know, you guys playing cam jam and like you know, getting some food and hanging out and barbecuing all week and playing, you know, I know you're talking about Frisbee golf, but I heard the weather's going to be really bad. And I hear about all this stuff. I am 100% going to be absurdly jealous at missing that. And I couldn't oh. care less about the actual magic. Yeah, no, the the rest of the weekend is going to be great regardless. Of, so, that, you know, I'm not, I'm honestly not th- that worried about getting cards together, even if it like comes down to me having to play a different deck, like, you know, winning or losing this tournament is not going to make a huge deal. I want this tournament to be a, you know... It's a byproduct of the weekend. Yeah, and honestly, even if I'm being a little bit self-interested here, where, you know, my life being centered around competitive magic is, you know, I'm I'm very much interested in, you know, sort of getting back to the way things were, or at least some, something similar. And, you know, after an event like this, you know, that there's a big chance... That competitive magic doesn't return in at all, near at all the same form uh, that that it used to have, or or at all. So you know that's been a, a, an overarching worry of that I've had. You know, ever since it became very obvious that this wasn't going to be a quick thing. You know, when we got into like May and June and started to, and things kept getting worse, and we knew that like you know we're in for a, the long haul here, um, and. You know, speaking of that, do you remember our first couple shows after that and talking about like how long we weren't, you know, when the first couple events got canceled? Oh, yeah, I remember it. And you were like, yeah, I think we play an event at the end of the year. And I was like, I don't think we play till next year. 
and I was like, you know, and like late to that. And it's not me being like, I was right, you were wrong. I way undershot it myself. Yeah. No, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it's been quite, quite a bit longer than either of us anticipated at, at the start. So, but when I'm, when I'm thinking of like, you know, what is going to make this event, like, what do I want to see out of this event is I want to see a large crowd of people be really excited to play competitive paper magic tournaments. So I want everyone to have the best time they possibly can, uh, you know, and I, that's going to be better for me long term than just winning this tournament and, and cashing a big check. So, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm, I'm being a little bit self-interested here um, because of my unique position. Uh, that said, you know, in general, I, I think we, we all benefit from that. We're sort of in a, we're sort of in a mutual prisoner's dilemma. Are you familiar with the prisoner's dilemma, Tannen? Yeah, I, I am, but I couldn't like expound upon it. I haven't read yeah. it. I haven't read it in a very long time. It's, 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 a, it's effectively a game where, right. uh, and that the initial problem is set up where there, there's two people who are arrested, uh, and they're in separate rooms and they're told that, if you, you know, squeal on the other person, you get X amount of time, um, provided that they don't uh, squeal on you. If they, if you both squeal, like, you, you both get serve a certain amount the of same time. same stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if one squeals and the other doesn't, the one person who squeals goes free. Um, and if you, but if you both don't squeal, then you both get off. Like, that, that uh, and you, you, you have to realize that. And if uh, you set up the numbers in a way where each person is individually incentivized to rat out the other one, but that creates the worst possible scenario. So it, it's a weird thing where it shows you that there are situations where everyone uh, making individual decisions in their own self-interest doesn't create the best outcome for the group, which <coughs> should tell you why. <coughs> yeah. Excuse me. With, Sorry. You know, the prisoner's dilemma should tell you why capitalism doesn't work, but I don't know. Uh, I guess most people haven't come to that conclusion. You can only lead a horse to water, Ross. Yes. Uh, so that that's sort of the situation we're in. I think there's a significant edge to be gained if you want to play this tournament really cutthroat and you can you know cash your check. Um, but ultimately, like we all suffer if if a bunch of us go down that road. So let's all you know don't rat each other out. Snitches get stitches, and have a good time and play some play some magic. Have you have you ever heard the European version of that? Of the prisoner's dilemma or snitches no, get stitches? Snitches get stitches. In what Europe, they say snitches get ditches. Like, as in, like, they get <laughs> yeah, put get, into the get ground. Killed and yeah. And I was like, oh. <laughs> like, because like, I just heard a, a, a guy talk about that in the show, and, like, you know, it was a European actor, and the American actor is like, no, it's it's stitches. And he's like, no, we say ditches. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And it's, it's probably a very easy thing where, like, one of them started, and the other one, it's a word that's very, sounds very, you know, similar in rhymes. So, like, you know, someone just said it that way, you know, kind yeah. of thing. But all right. So we talked a decent bit about modern and like, you know, we haven't covered like the whole format or anything, but let's talk a little bit about your standard deck. You're playing mono white aggro. And I've got to believe the reason you're doing this is a, it's a deck that can get underneath the, you know, the, the time walk decks, you know, the blue red decks and can go wide enough to beat those, but also has some pretty good game against the mono green deck where you have a little bit of removal and your creatures are generally cheaper than theirs. Plus you can kind of like, use some of the evasion and get around them as well. Yeah, so my big thing for this weekend, I think standard is a lot more predictable because very much so, fundamentally yeah, yeah. You know, narrow metagame. There's basically four decks. I don't think we're going to see a ton. We will see some people playing other decks. I've heard a little bit about this Demir control list. I've seen lists of it. I've seen some that are now splashing for Vanishing Verse. Um, so just slightly into Esper. Um, but in general, it's going to be Is it Epiphany, Mono Green, Mono White, Is it Dragons, right? And 
the, uh, so, you know, most people are going to pick one of those four decks. And to me, um, even though Mono White is, you know, doesn't put up, hasn't put up quite the same results, I think a large part of that is people have been clinging mostly to the build with um, Stonebinders Familiar and Sungold Sentinel and not as many ones, just kind of a more traditional curve, like eight ones, 12 twos, 12 threes or whatever, uh, and some removal. And I am choosing to play a list that with a much lower curve that is built with Clarion Spirit, which is, uh, you know, this is not new, you know, I'm not, uh, I've innovated this, but there's sort of two different builds of Monoway. And I think the more popular build of them is actually the worst one right now. And it's because the metagame's already reacted to it. Um, and if you look at the Is It builds, there is a, uh, there's not as many sweepers and especially not as many Cinderclasms as there used to be in those decks. So I'm pretty happy to spew into the battlefield. I also think the, the mono white deck, because it is just fundamentally less powerful on a card by card basis than the other top decks, you, you need to get under people. You know, when I've played that deck on versus the games where I have a one drop are very different than the games where I don't. So I'm just, even though I don't particularly like the one drops, you know, I'm playing fucking Battlefield Raptor, uh, which is not, a, a, you know, a super exciting card. Uh, I, I, I do think it's the better build of mono white. I, I also think that we're going to see a metagame where mono green is the most popular deck. You know, typically it's so been, too. is it at really high level events? But if you look at the SCG to online results, which I think will be more indicative for this, uh, the metagame of this tournament, mono green is what's there. Um, you know, m mono white generally shows to have a good mono green matchup. I know some people think that's a little off base. Uh, I would, I think that, you know, going wide and having a lot of cheap flyers with Clarion Spirit making the tokens, Battlefield Raptor that you can pump. It, and my list also has a lot of removal in the main. So I'm main decking to, you know, sort of pre sideboarding to beat mono green. And I'm going to be a little bit worse against Is It Game One. Um, so I actually have zero elite spellbinders in my main deck. So I basically picked a deck that I felt comfortable playing. And I think I have a, a list that is tuned well for the metagame I'm expecting, which is very sense. much what you have to be doing in standard, which is sort of the opposite of what I'm doing in modern. I'm preparing for a more wide open metagame. And just playing uh, something linearly powerful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the the I just have a you know a slightly tweaked mono white list that's a little different than the ones most people are playing. Yeah, I think mono green is going to be really popular because of like, you know, big dumb idiot go burr and like attack or whatever, blah, 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 right? Like you can say all that yeah. stuff. Also like... The price point of coming into standard, especially if you have to acquire cards through buying, I think the mono white and the mono green decks are like very affordable overall. And yeah, then, certainly more so than the Epiphany decks, I yeah, would think. You're looking at a lot of mythics and very playable rares in the blue red decks. And then in the, the green and white decks, you're looking at, you know, quite a number of either cheap rares that have been around in standard for a while, or you're looking at a lot of like commons and uncommons, like in your deck, which is I think that's like the Ross way in standard. I can't like a lot of the decks over the last years. If they've been a decks of like lots of commons and uncommons, you're just like, yeah, I gravitate towards that deck. Fuck, fuck <laughs> with that, yeah. Not the yeah. deck that. Fuck not the decks we had. Rares. Yeah, not the decks we had a couple years ago where it's like, well, my deck has 47 rares in it, and the rest are basics or whatever. You know, <laughs> you know, rares or mythics or whatever. It's like, oh, I, I, and I have like this four of a, of a busted uncommon in my sideboard because every deck plays four of this yeah. random color hoser. And then four of this common removal spell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, yeah, and so, like, I, I will say this. If you were playing one of the Is It decks this weekend, 
the one piece of advice I could give you, and this isn't groundbreaking either, is you might want to play at least one copy of Burning Hands Main. I, I think it's good enough in enough of the matchups that it's still good enough in the white matchup, obviously. But if you play against the green matchup, it's so good, especially if you can copy it to kill, like, yeah. you know, two huge creatures or whatever that, like... I think playing at least one main, if not two, is is good enough. Plus, your deck has so much card draw and stuff in it that if you're you know down one card in a matchup, it's not going to be the end of the world. The, the problem with Burning Hands is it's so bad in the Is It Mirrors, where you mm -hmm. do need to kill eggs and kill gold spans and kill leers, and it does none of those things. That's very which true. Which is why you saw people switch over. Like People had main a bunch of main deck uh, Burning Hands a couple weeks ago, and they had to switch over after worlds to be playing you know the thundering rebukes and demon bolts that they are now um so that's really so you, you don't really cost yourself much in the white matchup in fact I, I think keeping burning hands would be better against white uh but you you cost yourself in the is it mirrors that said i'm a big fan of um unexpected windfall uh i think that card is really really good i would be playing four in my is it epiphany list if i was playing that deck and with four copies of that card it's really easy to play one burning burning hands and just pitch it when it's uh, you know when you're in the is it mirror in game one so for people I'm, at home i'm, I'm a fan not... of i'm a fan of main decking burning hands as well but yeah. only one for people at home that might not know this one this is the one that uh it got pretty popular when a few of the players played it at worlds this is um two red red for an instant and you have to discard a card to it as additional uh cost and you get to draw two cards and create two treasure tokens. So, like Ross said, you can you know discard cards you're not using or whatever, blah blah blah. But this is a really good uh, card for when you're you're holding up mana a lot. Also, copying this is really good because you don't have to pay the additional cost. If you uh, if you if you copy it as well, you don't have to discard another card. Uh, it'll say six mana, discard one card, draw four, make four treasures. And... Yeah, and if you have Goldspan Dragon in play, you're, you just have infinite mana now. So like you're <laughs> you're good. This is also a card that. It allows you on, like, turn four to leave this up plus, like, some interaction, right? Like, uh, what's the blue learn spell that everybody's playing? Um, uh, divide by zero. You can leave up like this and, and divide by my zero, My least right? favorite named card in the history of magic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> you can leave up this and that. That, that card right? should be uncastable as far right. as I'm concerned. You can leave up this and that or Disdainful Stroke or uh, one of the removal spells in your deck. Any kind of interaction, right? Or Memory Deluge, if you still have it. Most of them don't play both of those, right? Or they might play, like, one or whatever. Anyway. Yeah, they, they play... Uh, usually I see... Three to four windfall. uh, windfalls and zero to one yeah. uh, deluges. Yeah, because people are starting to be able to beat Deluge a little more. And they're playing a little better. But you get what I'm trying to say here. So, like, you know, you get to hold this up, interact, and like or ignore whatever's going on, cast this, untap, and start doing absurd stuff. Because you've all of a sudden gone from four mana to seven if you make a land drop the next turn. So, you know, you make your fifth land drop, you've got these two treasure tokens, and now you can even start time walking. So if you have anything, like let's say you have an egg in play, that's gonna flip your egg and now you're attacking with this four four right and then you get to untap with your your creatures and now you have your flipped dragon and you can start shooting down everything or going a ton to the face so unexpected windfall is one of those cards that when i saw people put it into the deck and i looked at it i was like this just makes sense to me and i'm surprised it took this long because it just seems like a pure upgrade over everything else that you're doing because it's like a card that it's almost like a good combo card in the deck, if you get what I'm trying to say here. It just facilitates everything else that's going on. Um, yeah, it, it really... The, the extra mana is the critical thing. Right. Is that you're really trying to set up that iteration plus epiphany turn, and Windfall does that better than Deluge, which initially is a little counterintuitive, because Deluge gives you more selection, so you're able to find the individual pieces. 
But because you also have iteration and, um, you know, um, and, um, and Leer to flash these things back in the late game, you're not really hurting for card selection. And you're especially not hurting for card selection in the aggro matchups where Deluge ends up just being way too slow. Uh, you know, results can either set you up for a big turn than, or not results. I keep saying unexpected results, which is a completely different magic card. Right. It's uh, a green blue card, Ross. Yeah. Unexpected windfall. Um, you know, th- that extra mana you get to either immediately interact, like you dug for your removal spell, you found it, you cast it, or next turn you're able to double spell in a really powerful way and, and take over the game. So it doesn't matter that you took a turn off. Um, really, you know, is incredibly beneficial. So a lot of it was the aggro matchup dictating it, but even in the control mirrors, you're still trying to set up a mana advantage like you always are so that you can win counter wars or have the duress if you're splashing black, uh, you know, and have enough mana to duress on that turn exactly to know the coast is clear and not have that one blind draw that could muck up all of your plans. So, um, uh, that, that was a, a very long-winded explanation for why I, I support your one main deck burning hands. <laughs> and we're back to that from eight minutes ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, welcome to MTG Rants. Right, welcome to MTG Rants, exactly. We'll answer your question, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you. <laughs> yeah, so lots of other stuff going on this weekend there, too. Are there going to be artists at this event? Honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> I know that I do know this. If you know, if you're listening to this and you you've been interested in Flesh and Blood, because I will say this, at one of the, uh, the callings, I had somebody come up to me, and they're like, "Hey, like you know, it's nice to meet you. I'm a big, big fan of your podcast." And you know, whenever I do a different game, right? You know, when I first started doing a bunch of Hearthstone, if I ever got recognized for MTG there, I was like, "Oh, that's cool." You know, you get recognized for like your other thing, right? So I started doing Flesh and Blood, and people would come up to me and say, "Like, hey, I'm a big fan of your podcast," or like, "I liked you know your magic stuff." Um, it's always a good feeling, and someone's like, yeah, I started playing this game, you know, because you mentioned it on the podcast, and I just loved it. I think the game's great. It's very different. It's very difficult. It's very skill-testing. It's a good game overall. Like, I think LSS knocked it out of the park when they made this game. If it means anything to you, it's actually made by a, a person who used to work for WotC in R&D way back in the day. Uh, they, you know, they're based out of New Zealand now, and that's where the game comes from, and it's just really well done, right? Um, I, I don't want to, you know, go too deep into that, but, you know, someone came up and they said, you know, they... they uh, that t- this podcast actually led them to that game and there is uh, i think it's on sunday there is a um a flesh and blood event where it's like a ptq if you win it you're not only is the prize insane by the way for the size of tournament that it is um you're going to be qualified for one of the pro tours next year so if you remember the old uh op uh, meaning organized play that we had where we had grand prix and pro tours and stuff like that when Magic scrapped that and went to MPL last year, Flesh and Blood has just picked that up, and that's what they're doing now. It's just literally what it was. We have Grand Prix, uh, which are called Callings. You know, we have Nationals, which are called Nationals. We have Pro Tours, which are called Pro Tours, right? And then you're going to have Worlds. You know, you're going to have all that stuff that uh, Watsi had. By the way, if, if I had to guess, I think Watsi is going to go back to that in a year or two. I, I really think that's what's going to happen. We're going to have some, maybe not what we saw before to the same level, but I think there's going to be something along those lines. Like, yeah, the numbers will change, but the yeah, I think it's going to be less train involved. And by what the, what I mean by that is, you're going to have like it's going to be harder to just you know qualify for one and stay on forever, so they don't get that lifestyle thing picked back up. Or it's just going to be like you're qualified for this event, and then if you do really well at the next one, then you're qualified for the next one. But otherwise, you have to go back to playing the other stuff, right? It incentivizes you to keep playing Grand Prix and, and PTQs or Road to Nationals, like they're called, you know, or Road to whatever, you know, um, whatever it's called in whatever game that you're in. 
And, uh, you know, I think it'll, they, I don't think they want to further the, the pro lifestyle for magic unless, you know, again, things change obviously, but I do expect a revert back to what I like to call like the golden age of competitive magic. You know, if you were into that kind of stuff, it always felt like that system was as close to a really good one as we had. Obviously everyone has had problems. Everyone's had their good part and their bad part, but the MPL was just, a, obviously a mistake. You know, it just, it did not, okay, maybe a mistake is a strong word. It just didn't work. Right. Yeah. And, so, and I, like, I, I would argue that a lot of that was the specific execution of it. I mean, yeah, we can get really into that because like, you know, I've said, and I've tried to say this in a way that's like, doesn't hurt anyone's feelings or get insensitive, but it, like, if that system couldn't work during what happened with COVID, then you, you, you had no shot because I mean, I don't mean this in any way like COVID was a blessing, but it was a perfect storm for you to really get this to work, right? Because, like, you were already pushing Arena. You wanted people to watch, you know, these people play online. They didn't go anywhere. You already had this thing set up to, uh, you know, thrive during COVID because, like, you were already set up that way, and it still fell flat. And that's when I'm like, yeah, you just, you were drawing dead. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I I can buy that. It, it, that's not something I've, you know, put a lot of thought into and I can see merits on both sides, but regardless, um, it, it certainly was in reality a, a failed experiment. So hopefully we get something, you know, I, I don't necessarily want exactly what we had before. I think there were some significant issues with it, uh, in particular with, with Grand Prix being too much of a trying to serve two masters kind of thing. Like in okay. order to be profitable, they needed to be focused around commander side events. And, but, you know, then they, in order to, then they had to hold this massive tournament as well. And so they just become, became gigantic, which, you know, brought them into other issues. I don't know if it's better off splitting those two kind of things. Um, and, and I, and I don't even know how, how that would work or, you know, what other tournaments we can have to replace that kind of Grand Prix as a, as a, you know, uh, secondary set of tournaments to supplement the, less frequent, you know, major events on the level of a pro tour. But I'm just hoping that we get something similar to that back. Um, But I'm not, you know, I'm not particularly confident that we will. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, we'll see what happens. I think we're going to get something, you know, they said we're going to get something. We've seen a lot of people, you know, complain. I've seen people on Twitter posting like OP announcement when, and it's like, I, you don't want them to announce it yet. They probably haven't, they, a, they, they might not have even gotten to it yet, but B, you want them to figure it out. You know, you don't want to get like, uh, here's a little bit and we'll figure it out later. Like, I'd wait for them to like actually figure everything out and for it to be safe, you know, to do. Because like, uh, you know, I think it's it's cool to have these events every now and then. I think it's okay to have these events every now and then. But if you start doing them where, you know, there's multiple a month, like two to three a month that people are going to all these, like, you're just asking for trouble when it comes to stuff. You know, somebody's going to get sick and like show up to an event, not know about it. And then they're going to be like, hey, I was at the event this weekend. I'm sick. And someone else is like, yeah, I just tested positive. Someone else is like, I'm te- I tested positive. And all of a sudden, the whole thing crumbles in on itself. Oh, I'm Spartacus. Yeah. No, I'm Spartacus kind of thing. So, yeah, exactly. Um, I was going to say, anything else you wanted to talk about with the Envy in preparation or uh, anything like that? No, I, th- I think we covered it pretty well. Um, you know, it's not overly complicated of a situation i I've, I've played tournaments like this before where one format was kind of figured out and one really wasn't uh they really will just be a matter of degree you know but one one of the big indicators for me is going to be how popular is is it that you know the in modern the is it Merktide deck which 
has gotten a lot of press over the last couple months. And at one point, you know, was the most popular and successful deck in the format. You haven't seen a lot of it recently. You've seen a little bit of it. It's still around. Um, but online, that deck has really receded a lot. And, and you know, Ragam and DRC decks in general have receded a fair bit. Uh, and I'm I'm expecting them to be fairly popular, you know, in, in the five most popular decks, if not higher. Um, and that will indicate to me that this is really a, a, you know, more wide open tournament as opposed to one that is following the trajectory of the online metagame as it has been unfolding in the last few days and weeks. So that that's going to be a big early indicator for me that if I was right or wrong about how the metagame is going, if instead we see a bunch of, you know, four color Yorian decks and Yorian rhinos and blue light control, that which has sweet, been really popular the recently. The Yor rhinos is really yeah. cool. Oh yeah. Really cool deck. But you know, so that that's the remaining question for me. And uh, it'll, I'm hopeful that, that we'll get a, a you know a full metagame breakdown as part of the coverage. Because there's going to be no you know uh, match video. coverage or whatever. No video, but they're, yeah. they're 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 still out there doing some things. Uh, I haven't gotten a full rundown because I'm not involved in it, so you know uh, <laughs> they don't tell me. But um, I'm hopeful that we'll get a, a, at least that that bit because I was like doing the the metagame analysis and stuff. But I would say I I have one one other question. Uh, I guess t- I have two other questions actually. Uh, one is you know you you said that you agree with my choice of Esper Reanimator. That's what you would play in modern. What would you play in standard? Um, if I had time to like play a bunch, I'd probably mess around with like one of the iteration decks of like less creatures, if that makes sense. You know, more of like the spell oriented version. Okay. So so no no eggs main. Uh yeah, probably something more like that. That's more my style. Okay. Unless you unless you like. Unless you were like, yeah, my deck actually has a good matchup in that, for, you know, like a really good one, and I tested it, and it was, I would just, you know, play whatever you played. But, yep. Um, and uh, outside of those two decks that you said you would play, mm-hmm. what are the two decks that you, uh, one for each format, you think would will win the turn? <sighs> uh, I have this weird thing with mono green aggro where I'm just like, I think the deck's overrated. Yeah. How do you feel about that statement? Um, yeah, I I also think it's overrated. I just think it, it has so many misses. It has so many like so much air and like no manipulation. But like, if someone runs really good with mono white, I think they can win the tournament. But I do think a blue red deck is going to win the tournament. Um, just someone who's like tested really well. And when I say blue red deck, it might just be the Leer version with black. You know, the Grixis version that's really tuned well to beat the mirror. Like one of my friends is talking about, he's playing the blue red deck with Leer, and like he's got a black splash in it, and it's pretty much for just for like go blank for the mirror i've seen that yeah and he's like you know i might have a duress but like it's mostly i'm just playing like four go blank in the sideboard everybody at home that doesn't know what go blank is it's mine rods two and a black uh your opponent you know mulligans two cards but you also get to exile their graveyard it's pretty good in those matchups for obvious reasons um for modern uh, i wouldn't be surprised if elementals won the tournament just because if it's a little behind the online metagame and you're at like Still at that metagame with a bunch of decent creature decks and like not a lot of really good removal for the elemental deck. I still think that deck is really, really good against the field. Yeah, um, I'm so that my answer for standard would be is it epiphany uh, pretty clearly. And then my answer for modern is similar to yours, but it, it's the the 4C Yorian blink decks. So that they're, right. they're very similar to elementals. They just don't play Risen Reef and the, the crappy elementals. They just play Omnath and the, the, the incarnations and ephemerates and like Ice Fang Quaddles and things like that. 
Um, I think that deck is quite good, and I think yeah. it's still good. Even if people like, go back and start playing more Ragavan DRC decks, the four C Yorian deck will love that. And I think you will. I think you're actually going to see a decent bit of DRC Ragavan decks at this tournament. And so a deck like Elementals or a deck like this, you know, these four color uh, Yorian decks are in a really, really good spot because. You know, they suffer in formats where, like, have you ever played the Elementals deck? You know, we did in a, in a in a team tournament. If your opponent is doing anything severely unfair, you're just dead. Yeah. And I was scared off of of choosing an unfair deck. I was really close to trying to play Belcher in this tournament. and But I was scared off because I just don't think... I don't think I can be confident in the metagame. Mm-hmm. And the linear decks in Modern always need the right metagame to succeed. If, yeah. if the metagame is targeting you, you won't be good, no matter how good the deck is, unless it's completely broken, like Hogak. Um, oh, but, it, you know... That was so. a uh, unforeseen casualty in a format that had really good early drops get printed and and uh, counterspell get put into the format. You know, I didn't really think about the, the trickle-down economics, you know, the trickle-down yeah. effects of this kind of thing. It just makes sense the more you think about it, that these I mean, unfair it's, decks... It's been more than that, like prismatic mm-hmm. ending, giving people answers to, to different types of permanents. You and can kill a chalice on any number with yeah, prismatic ending. And like, like there's, there's so many more flexible answers in modern than there has ever been, and more good, cheap threats. It's all of it together. It just makes it very difficult to be linear. So the decks that just win the non-linear matchups... Uh, tend to be quite good. It's just not very much not my style, but the four C Orient deck I think is quite good. So I wanted to give that one a shout. Absolutely, and like even thinking about the deck you're you're playing, I don't. I think that it's a good spot right now because I don't think that people are packing enough graveyard hate, and for good reason, right? Like there's not a ton of graveyard decks in modern right now, right? You're not seeing dredge as much, right? And reanimator hasn't really really caught a one except for online. Yeah, there's Living and then, End. And, right, uh, right. So people but, have, but there, there's not as much of the Ragavan DRC decks where people just had all these, uh, like, Nile Spell Bombs and, and Soul right. Patterns to go with you, their Lurises. You'll still run into, like, Jund Saga, and, like, they're going to have ways to interact with main, which sucks. But here's the big thing about that. You know, people with their sideboards and stuff, they're they're like, well, one of the graveyard decks is Living In, like you said, but they're just playing Chalice because it's also good against Rhinos, and that card is not anywhere near as good against you. And then you just have a catch-all to, to deal with sideboard cards you know your white removal spell just answers everything you know yeah. at any cost so like that's what i mean this card is one of the best cards white cards ever printed i actually think like ever i remember when we talked about it in the preview i was like this might be my number one card in the set and it it was up there super high for me i don't remember where i put it but prismatic ending is one of the best cards that have, they've printed in the last five or ten years I'm, I'm just gonna go up there i think it's the effect it's had and deck building and metagaming, the card is just phenomenal. Yeah, we've talked a lot over the last few months about the effect of Ragavan and DRC and Unholy Heat, but Prismatic Ending is easily, you know, up there with Unholy Heat and probably has surpassed it at this point in terms of impact on, on the metagame. And, you know, I always, I really, and I've talked about this multiple times, I really think that the printing of Fatal Push fundamentally changed Modern. Absolutely. Uh, ultimately for the better. But it really did, and because it balanced out the, the one mana removal. Before then, it was it was just bolt and path, and now yeah. then you had bolt push path, and but there was always this odd um, dynamic with path to exile where white had the most flexible answer could an, you know answer any kind of kind of creature. Be, it used to be that white was the best sideboard color. Yeah, yeah, um, and so but you had this you had the most flexibility, but you were the the worst on turn one. 
Like you want your one mana removal spell so you can answer things on turn one, right? So you don't just die to quick linear decks, like whether it was Goblin Guide or Glistener uh, Elf or, uh, you know, whatever, Devoted Druid. Uh, So you wanted to have that cheap interaction, but Path really punished you when you had to cast it early. Mm -hmm. So it it just ended up falling a little bit behind the other two as a result. And, you know, and it it would cycle. There was, you know, it would come back. And if there were too few paths in the metagame, people would take advantage of it with like Reality Smasher, but you didn't die to Bolter Push. Uh, shit like that. So, but what Prismatic Ending did was it gave white decks the ability to have that incredibly good one mana removal spell that was still flexible later on because they're all able to cast it for two or three. And it might not kill as many creatures, but it kills other permanents. And then you just deal with the big creatures in other ways. And, you know, sometimes that could be playing paths in your deck as well. A lot of the time right now, it's just playing Teferi, so you could bounce Murktide Region. Um, and maybe sideboards and paths or, or, you know, something like that. So it's given white so much more flexibility because it has, you know, that double depth of removal spells, uh, that greater depth of removal spells. And, red, you know, Unholy Heat did something similar with red. You know, now you have this card that can kill the four, five, six toughness creatures, the Tarmogoyfs and the Gurmag Anglers. That one doesn't see play anymore. But the Death Shadows, uh, a lot of the time, you know, you can Unholy Heat. Also, it's Planeswalkers, so it's valuable against Teferis and things like that. And now black has been left behind because black just has fatal push, which doesn't answer planeswalkers and doesn't answer, you know, other types of permanence, artifacts and enchantments like prismatic ending and unholy heat do. And it's somewhat inflexible. You know, it doesn't kill Murktide Regent uh, ever, and it doesn't kill any of the incarnations ever because they're all five toughness creatures so, or five mana value creatures. Sorry. So, you know, fatal push has lost some of its flexibility that it used to have which is one of the reasons you've seen Tarmogoyf return to the metagame is because there are so few fatal pushes um, and it matches up reasonably well against the the rest. Sometimes you can get it to six, seven out of an holy heat range. You know, at least you're trading two mana for two mana with a prismatic ending uh, and, and you survive both. So the, the removal spells are really a, a big driving force in how, what shapes the modern metagame. I think more than we've ever really understood. So you know, Prismatic Ending has been on that fatal push level along with Unholy Heat in, in terms of impact on the the rules of engagement for the modern format. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think that's a pretty good uh, spot for us to kind of move on. We've talked a good bit about these and what's going on that weekend. Make sure you have some fun this weekend. Uh, you know, tweet at us, let us know on our Discord how your weekend goes. We can. I kind of want to hear stories, right? Like, this is the big thing for me, and I, I anyone who listens to this, let me either know in the Discord, or if you're not going to say it in there, maybe tweet at us. You can send it in a DM if you don't want to make it public. How your weekend went, what your favorite part was. You know, if, if it's the magic, that's fine. But if it's not, I really, you know, I want to hear that. But I really want to hear the stories of non-magic too, as well. You know, both. So uh, I definitely want something to talk about on the next episode about those kind of things. I, I will have some stories for you. Don't you worry. Yeah, yeah. I just want to hear from some other people, Ross, not just you. This is just about you, Ross. And now I'm just messing. Uh, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, you're, you're right. It actually is. But it's why the cast is yeah. called MTG Ross. Exactly. Wait, wait. It starts with an O or with an R. It ends with an S. Like it's, it's only one close, syllable. Close enough. Close. Enough. I've never really looked that close at the name yeah, of the podcast. I just, I just kind of assumed. I should have thought about this ahead of time. I should have seen this coming. All right, anyway. <laughs> uh, also, I wanted to have a, a quick... We don't do this very often, but I want to have a quick shout-out on the show. Speaking of uh, tabletop card games, I, this falls into that category, I guess, that are going on during this. The World Series of Poker is going on right now. And do you remember Kevin Gerhardt? I do, and I, I saw this happen. I actually played... I didn't know Kevin very well. I, I briefly met him because we played in the top eight of an open that I ended up 
Uh, oh no, we played. I thought we played in that Cleveland Open, but I played Collins Mullen in the top eight of that. We yeah, played sure. in a tournament that I ended up winning. Maybe we played in the Swiss of that tournament. Maybe we played like yeah. round one of day two. But I I believe he's from the Ohio area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. So what I, I've, I've met him before. Ohio, he's a cool guy. We talked a bit. Yeah, uh, absolutely love the dude. Uh, huge fan of Kevin Gerhardt. I uh, every time I make it out to Vegas because that's where he lives now, I make it a a uh, priority to see him. Him and his girlfriend love them both. He's just one of the genuinely nicest people I've ever met. I was very uh, very unfortunately he moved to Vegas like right when I like he got there like two weeks before I moved away. But I made sure to like you know show him around, introduce him to some people, so he'd have some friends right away. Because he literally like he's like, dude, I'm moving here with a few things in my apartment, and I'm just gonna like try to make poker work, right? And this was uh, how long ago was this? Like sixty years ago now? How long have I been back? Six, seven years now, maybe. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway, more about Kevin, less about me. Uh, Kevin won his third bracelet uh, recently. Uh, is I think it was two days ago. He won the ten thousand dollar horse championship in the WSP and. For those who don't know what horses, it's Hold'em, Omaha, Raz, Stud, and Aider Better, which is Hold'em, High-Low. So uh, this is a very prestigious uh, bracelet to win, a very prestigious event. In fact, a lot of people who are like, you know, poker purists, like, the you know, the, the, the higher echelon of player, right? Yeah. They consider this, like, a better bracelet than winning, like, the main event. Because the field's going to be much more dense and hard the game is much more complicated than just playing hold'em and i don't mean that in a bad way like obviously like playing a hold'em term is very difficult but this is asking you to be world class at five games across the board right and so this is kind of up his alley like he's always been a uh he's a he's a good hold'em player right but he's like very good at all the other disciplines you know omaha R- uh, raz stud you know these crazy games seven card games four card games and stuff and i just love seeing him succeed here you know it's, again it's his third bracelet uh his second one is a funny story too so last year obviously they canceled uh the world series live but they did one like online right you know they they have a, a website that you can play on you know like online poker and uh he was actually boycotting it because it was like put together very hastily they weren't they weren't paying people enough and they were taking like too much rake i don't put words in his mouth there's a lot of reasons to, to boycott it but he actually decided to cross the picket line for one event last year Literally just won. He wanted to play in like the big Omaha event or whatever. And he just spiked the whole thing. And just won the whole thing for a bracelet. And I'm not going to say the, the amount of money for that one. I don't remember. I'll, I'll say the one for this one. He won $361,000 uh, winning this horse championship. So no small change either, which is really nice. Um, you know, I'm just looking at the quote-unquote top eight here. You know, like the final table. And there's some big name players in there, including, you know, David Benjamin, one of the greatest players of all time. And stuff like that. So really good field that he ran through as well. So shout out to you, Kevin. I don't know if he listens to this every, you know, he still talks to me about magic and poker stuff all the time, but uh, he's a good friend of mine and congratulations. So a uh, nice little, you know, off the cuff thing. So former poker player, I'm sorry, former magic player making good in poker. Tell me if you've heard that before. <laughs> you know, it's almost like they're, I, th- I think he might be the first tandem. It's, it's almost like it's good training, you know, <laughs> to go through. Uh, a few more things to talk about before we uh, end the show this week. We, we did have a mailbag question. I think it's a really good one. We'll do some um, over-underrated, underrated as well. Now, the mailbag question was from Brent, our lovely editor. And I got to say this. Brent's average like on his questions is just so high. I love it. They're always so good and well thought out. The uh, the question yeah, the question is, what was the most question-slash-controversial play that you made while playing Magic? Such as Ross's mulligan uh, while in Phoenix and Modern. 
Ross, if you want, at some point in time, I think you could find the article in the video, maybe post it in our Discord, because uh, I want you to talk about something other than that one. I mean, the the article that uh, that I wrote wasn't an article that was published on Star City Games. I actually i I posted it to just, Twitter or something, right? I, I well, I wrote it of my own on my own volition, just because I was curious, because I I didn't ex- I got a lot of flack for it, and I didn't really expect that. Uh, yeah, I actually talked a ton about it as well. I remember I was either streaming or something, or I was in a chat, and like it got brought up, and I talked about it for like an hour and stuff too, because at first, I was one of the people, I was like, I, you know, I can't believe you did that, and the more I thought about it, and I was just like, I thought you were right, even though you got lambasted about it. Yeah. Um, well, hold so, on, let me, let me finish the other question, the other part of the question. Yeah. It says, also, looking back, would you make the same play? And I don't want you to talk too much about that one unless it's like literally the only answer you have for this. Like that's the best answer, blah, blah, blah. But I definitely want you to, if you can, if you could find that stuff, post it in the uh, Discord. Yes. So I ended up writing about it just because I was curious. And I, I remember uh, I was I got home from the tournament and I was sitting in the bar having a beer. And I, I took a, a pen out that I had on me and, and started doing math on the back of a bar napkin. And... Uh, um, with the aid of my phone calculator and did some of the math that, that I sort of intuited in the, in the moment. And, you know, came, the numbers came out and they were about what I expected. And to me, uh, so I, I ended up liking my decision, but I, that, that might be difficult to find because I wrote about it. I offered it to star city games to publish at my normal rate, just as an extra article Cedric didn't want it. And so I just tweeted it. Um, for, for everybody to see. Um, but so I'm sure if you like, you know, search Twitter for my tweets that I made and, you know, Mulligan or whatever, it'll, it will yeah, probably come up function. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, it'll probably come up, you know, this, this was, is, is it Phoenix? So it would have been uh spring of 2019. So you can search that range, um, you know, from maybe February through June, of 2019 it'll probably come up but ultimately i liked that decision it came to, i mulligan like a a pretty reasonable hand against um it was game three against uh titan give, shift yeah give the tldr version of this by the way yeah i'll be honest i, I don't remember exactly the hand that i mulliganed i th- i'm pretty sure it was a one lander i'll tell you this it's a that, land that 99 percent of the mtg community would snap off yeah it, it was a one-lander in Is It Phoenix, which you often kept, but it was a one-lander where I was going to have to cast Faithless Looting on turn one and like pitch two Phoenixes and then hope that my opponent didn't relic me or nor have, like, and that I hit lands. It was extremely all-in on them not having stuff and you still drawing well. Yeah, uh, and that was the problem to me that I needed. It. So if it was a game one hand, I, w- I would have kept... Uh, but and but I I put my opponent on having some relics and I think after I didn't know their list because this was playing for top eight we were in the Swiss, but I put them on having some relics in their sideboard and and they ended up uh, I think they had two maybe, um, but by my recollection that was the kind of hand it was, and my reasoning was that you know I really prefer to to beat them with thing in the ice because they usually have a bunch of graveyard hate. And I didn't have any disruption for their plan. So if I stumble at all by like missing a land drop or, you know, uh, if it just takes me an extra turn, if I can't turn two of these Phoenixes into play, if I have to turn three of them, then I'm not killing them until turn five, which means I'm giving them four turns to kill me. Um, you know, they could all, uh, you, they could also have anger the gods, which sometimes people would bring in against you, even though it wasn't that good. Um, so that, that was a small factor, but still a factor. 
that there just seemed like way too many ways for the hand to go wrong and not enough ways for the hand to go right. And I ended up mulliganing into a pretty solid six. Um, my opponent ended up having sort of a hand that matched up very well against the six card hand I, I mulligan into. Uh, and I, I lost a close game. So, you know, it was a feel bad because I lost the game, but I didn't really feel bad about the decision. Um, as far as other like controversial plays that I have made, I did keep a no lander in the finals in Baltimore when I won the open. I didn't really get a lot of flack for that one because I won the tournament and, you know, <laughs> scoreboard. So, so, so the, the loss in game two of that match kind of got erased, yeah. but I, I was on the draw you know, against mono red Phoenix and, um, and the, uh, and that, that matchup is like very much a race. And, you know, if I draw a land off the top and my six card hand, my hand w- was near perfect. Like I was going to be able to have, I think serum visions to find the second land and I could really do something. I didn't think my, you know, average five was going to win on the draw very often, that one was a little risky. I, again, I couldn't tell you exactly what the six was. Um, I'm generally of the ilk that you should pretty aggressively mulligan. I think these days I would probably mulligan that one. but Especially with how powerful def- magic cards are now, yes. Yeah, there are definitely times when, when you know you need, you need to take a risk and sort of hope it pays off. But that was a, a weird one because, you know, I'm, I keep my six, draw and pass on turn one. The game was over in 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it was an easy, easy one to forget, but... Those two, yeah. probably, the, the, at least the two that I can remember most clearly. So I'm trying to remember a few of mine. I know one that definitely got uh, questioned. I don't know if it was controversial, but it got talked about more than when it happened was um, our finals loss against uh, Brian Basoko, Jonathan Job, and Dave Thomas. Um, there is a game where you know I'm playing Legacy and I'm playing against Dave Thomas playing Shadow back when Shadow was like making its splash in Legacy. It was like right after PT25, right? And uh, I'm playing against Dave Thomas. And if you watch in the finals, I, th- I think this was in the finals when I did this. I can't remember if it was in the finals or the Swiss. But in one of the games, he, like, turn ones uh, reanimates a, um, a Street Wraith, you know, off of a, like, uh, like, off of a dual land out of his hand. And I think he fetched for the dual land and then, you know, you know, did that. And you see me draw my, my card for turn and my hand is, you know, eight cards and I have, like, lands with like ponders and delvers and like all the typical one mana stuff and you see me just like tank for like 30 seconds which is weird for me on turn one generally i know what i'm gonna do versus most stuff or whatever and i tank 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 think 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 and i just wasteland him right and um you know he untaps you know and plays a land or whatever and i just like die kind of easily from there and he and i talked about it a lot later and i remember uh todd anderson was covering it and he talked to me about it later and everybody's like, you know, what was up with that play? And Dave got it right away. He was like, he's like, how good was your hand? I was like, my hand was insane. Like, you know, I had a very good Delver hand. He goes, yeah, but you just couldn't beat a Street Wraith, right? I was like, yeah, I could just never beat a Street Wraith. Like, I'm going to have to put a Swamp into play at some point in time. And I was trying to think of a way that I could win being on the draw versus my opponent having a 3-4 in play that's unblockable. And, you know, my deck has, like, Lightning Bolt in it. There was no card in my deck that could, like, kill a 3-4. You know, I might have had one card, right? And so I was like, what kind of game what kind of play wins me this game and like pondering on one or delvering on one. Like, I don't know if it gets me there, if he has literally anything. Right. And, you know, we talked about it and Dave's like, yeah, I would have wastelanded too. And like, I talked to Todd about it. He's like, yeah, I would have wastelanded too. Cause I think it's the highest like probability of like, if he just doesn't have a land there, like I, I can, I can race at that point because at that point I'm going to start doing more things than him over the next couple turns because like their land, their deck was so land light. 
and he didn't do anything on one, like, you know, pondering anything. Like that. He made this super power play, which I think you would keep that hand under that. So that one was, like, you know, controversial. Or looking back on it, yes, I would make the play again. I think it's the correct play to make in the spot where I'm just so far behind as early as turn one. And so um, I wouldn't make that play again. And there was, like, a few other that I was trying to remember um, where I've made some crazy plays. And, like, there was, like, one where I was playing Legacy against Jerry Thompson, and it's, like, on camera. And, like, AJ Soccer is calling the game. And, like, I don't Delver on one against uh, against Jerry because, like, I know that I'm getting thought seized out of his deck on turn one. And I wanted to hold up. I think I held up, like, Stifle plus Brainstorm. So if he fetched, I was going to stifle him. If he thought sees me, I'm going to brainstorm away a very important card in the matchup or whatever. Because, like, I had, like, a Termagoy for whatever. You know, some card that was super important back then. This was, like, seven years ago, eight years ago. And, you know, I do that. And looking back on it, like, I just overthought. I I, I should have, like, I have a Delver on turn one. I just don't play it. And I definitely should have just done it. You know, it's it's the highest upside play. If he thought seizes me, then I'm, like, you know, he's down two to three life on turn one, depending on if he fetches or not. And I have a Delver in play. You know, and I had a brainstorm in my hand, which I don't know if he takes the brainstorm or not. And I could like upkeep brainstorm to make sure my Delver flips. And at this point, he's going to be at like, you know, 15 or 16, staring down a flipped Delver. And like, I think my hand had a daze in it too, as well. You know what I mean? Like, maybe it had to, you know what I'm saying? I just overthought the whole thing and played too cute. So, like, that was one of it as well. Um, I've had some other stuff. Like, I remember, you know, Tark always talks about this, right? Playing against Tark in a tournament where he's playing, is it Phoenix and I'm playing Tron? And on turn three, I just had Tron against him. And I had three Karns in my hand. And I just passed against him. It was the right play. It was this really elaborate situation where it was just the right play. And I would make that play again. Uh, the other one I was just talking about with Jerry, I would not. And it won the game against Tarek. And he was, like, so mad about it. Like, he's like, he's like, God damn it, man. Like, why'd you have to play well? You know, kind of thing. And Yeah, I it actually, always annoys me when my opponents play well, too. Yeah. And so, like... You know, he always talks about it. I I was really worried because we um we weren't a feature match, but we were on like the corner of a of the tables like right by the feature match area, and we had a bunch of people watching us. You know, because they could walk right up to our table and watch. You know, there was no rope holding us off, so we had like twenty or thirty people watching, and I had people behind me, and I was really worried that they were going to give away what happened. You know, the fact that I didn't play the Karn. Uh, it, it was in a situation where Tarek had a blue man up, and his list had like one or two spell pierces in it. So I was like kind of playing around that. But more so is the fact that I had a map in play still that hadn't been used. And I had an Ulamog in my hand and a uh, Nature's Claim in my hand. So if I get Blood Mooned, um, I can use the mana to go get a forest, uh, you know, untap, kill the Blood Moon, play Karn, and Karn him. Or if he doesn't do that, I can go get another tower and Ulamog him next turn. And, like, he he's probably going to have a big turn because he's been setting up a really big turn. You know, because, like, Phoenix, he's, like, you know, he's gone through... 20 cards at this point with thoughts, you know, thought, thought scours and faithless lootings. And so as long as I don't get, cause like if I jam the Karn there, cause I don't have a fourth land in my hand. So if I jam the Karn there and get spell pierced and he blood moons me, I'm just like in a really bad spot because on that turn, I'd have to untap, use two of my Tron lands to go get a forest, kill his land. And then I don't have another play. And now I'm super far behind. Right. And that, and that, and that starts to get to the point where, uh, you know, he could have a spell. I guess he could have had, uh, what's the one blue mana counter a colorless spell? Ceremonious Rejection. Yeah, he could have had Ceremonious Rejection as well, right? And so, like, I just didn't want to walk into him having, in like, playing into his best possible plays, and I wanted to give myself the most open play, right? Yeah. And so... And, and you weren't under any pressure at this point. Uh, he did have a, he did have a, uh, what was the enchantment? He did have a, um, the two mana gym. 
He hit Ascension in play with like a counter on it. And so like I knew his next turn was gonna be big. And his next turn was big. He like went off of the Ascension, went through like a good part of his deck, and he put multiple uh he put multiple Phoenixes into play, but it put me down to, you know, 14, because you know I'm Tron. I don't you know hurt myself. So I go get a I go get a tower and I like Ulamog one of his one of his uh Phoenixes and like one and his Ascension, and I'm just like yeah, good luck. Like, because I have an Ulamog now. And so, like, you know, he did a bunch of stuff. Like, he got another You're Phoenix. winning the race and have three Karns back. And Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, yeah, he, like, left a he like left a, a Phoenix back to block. He, like, he attacks of one and, like, leaves another one back and, like, you know, spins his wheels a little bit. And I'm just like, all right, Karn, you kill your Phoenix. Like, attack you, mill the rest. Like, you can never, you can, they can never survive the second attack from Ulamog. Because you're yeah. just going to go through too much of your deck. After a big turn with Ascension, they probably can't survive the first. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it was just a, it was just a really crazy spot. And, like, you know, when I was done and I got up and there's some people behind me that, like, wanted to talk about it. And a lot of them were just like, I can't believe you didn't cast Karn on three. Uh, you know, it just explained all the reasons. And they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And it, it sounds, like, very easy and academic. But I think a lot of people in that spot just, just play a Karn. Like, they just autopilot into playing a Karn. I would have played Karn. Yeah, of course you would have. Noob. <laughs> exactly and i had another one and i can't remember it so uh maybe when we're doing a we'll do like 10 minutes of overrated underrated or just a few of them and maybe i'll remember it but let me uh sure. pull up let me pull up the overrated underrated here uh i gotta scroll up sorry we've had a some they went off in this thing the other day okay uh let me see here uh variance 28 says the high road uh when i was younger it was overrated now that i'm older i think it's underrated just because I ain't got time for that shit. Yeah, there are still places where it, where it's worth it, but it's not you know you it's not the default. Everything's on a case by case basis. So honestly, I, I think it's still a little overrated. You're often like you know forced into this respectability politic. Otherwise, people will just dismiss you entirely, and so you're just not allowed to express genuine emotion. Um, and they're really just using it as an excuse to dismiss legitimate grievances. Right. So. Right. generally i would say a little bit overrated though certainly important it, it yeah 100 agree with you. it just comes down to me that a lot of times when something happens and i don't take the high road right or whatever or some situation where like you steer into what they want you to and you respond even just responding period is like sometimes not taking the high road like a lot of times you just ignore stuff or you pile on or whatever blah blah a it doesn't accomplish anything and it doesn't you know it doesn't create any value anywhere but b like i just don't want to waste that time and energy anymore you get what I'm trying to say? Like, I'm just better off ignoring it and just being like, I really don't give a shit and just doing literally anything else. Like, I'm going to go read a book or something. You know what I mean? Go do anything. Yeah, touch uh, some grass. Joe, Yeah, exactly. Joe Mr. English 22 says the low road. And I'm going to go with the same answer from the high road, just kind of like inversed, you know? Yeah, so it's it's a little bit underrated. High road's a little overrated. Uh, KPET says the road less traveled. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry that I could not take them both. Uh, the road less traveled. I'm going to go with underrated because we need a little more Robert Frost in our lives right now. Um, yeah, um, I, I would. Well, I can take this in, in you multiple can, ways. However you want to yeah, interpret it. That's the what's the poem is probably a little bit overrated. It, it's, um, well, just because it's like, you know, super popular. He was Poet Laureate for the United States, right? I'm pretty positive um, he was. I'm pretty positive I wouldn't be was. surprised, but I don't really. That's a, I want to say yes, that he was. And this was one of the ones that got to him. But Good Fences Make Good Neighbors is like an interesting one in, in how you interpret it as well. Um, stopping by woods on a snowy so evening. I, I knew you were going to bring this up. So I'm actually like a little educated on some of the stuff. I remember, you know, I have a, a literature a literature minor or whatever. And, uh, or I think I'm one class away from one. Anyway, long story short. But so 
Robert Frost was very uh, popular and famous for never giving interviews, or if he did, he didn't talk about his works. You know, he wouldn't, like, explain stuff. And if you ever re have read or read Stopping by uh, Woods on a Snowy Evening, it's a beautiful poem, but uh, the last line is repeated twice. Do you remember that the line is, Ross? And I have miles to go before I sleep. And I have miles to go before I sleep, right? Great, great line, right? Like, like one of the best endings to a poem. Like, it's almost gives me chills like thinking about it. it's really great and so for years like decades people wrote about this you know thesis papers are written on what on what it means you know the the fact that you know he's never done this in any of his poetry before where he, he repeated a line right so some people are like this should have grave importance you know it's the it has to be the most important part of the thing you know there's you can read so much in depth in it blah 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 um so later in his life he actually gets this interview with someone and they ask him the question, and he finally answered it. He's like, you know, hey, why did you repeat this, this line? You know, uh, in in the, in the last stanza, you've never done this. Is it because it's the most important thing? Blah 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 blah. Do you want to know what the answer was? What? You just needed it to have the same amount of lines as all the other ones, so you just repeated the last line. Because I think it's all like it's it's four lines per stanza. Yeah. And so he's just like, yeah, all the other ones had four lines. I just needed to make it four lines. So no deeper meaning, no nothing like that. He's just like, yeah, I just, you know, needed it to, to fit. <laughs> so I thought that was just actually hilarious because, like, people's whole, like, doctorates were, like, based off of this stuff and, like, reading into it. And it's just like, nope, it's just it's just nothing. Yeah, I uh, I got got by that as well. Yeah. my We read this, we did a poetry unit in my freshman English class, and I made the mistake of telling my mother and she went on and on about, you know, one of the more popular interpretations of the poem and how it was about, uh, it was about death. And, you know, so I went back into class and like, you know, gleefully just repeated what she said. And at the end, the, the teacher was like, yeah, no, it just didn't mean anything. Poems don't have to have deeper meanings. And that was the entire point of adding yep. that poem to the unit. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, all right. Thanks mom. Yeah. Uh, Flackle says the amount of roads a man must walk down probably overrated. Yeah, we have too many roads. Yeah. Um, Who well, wants to walk anymore now? We got cars. Uh, that's the opposite of what I'm trying I, to say. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we need we need fewer few, less infrastructure for individual automobiles and more infrastructure for like trains and mass transit. Hundred percent agree. All right. Flackle says the amount of ro I'm sorry. I'm repeating this one. Kyle MTG stick breaks. Says the road, uh, the Viggo Mortensen movie. I've never seen it, but I've heard that it's very good, so probably properly rated. I've never seen it, but I like Viggo Mortensen, so I'll say underrated. Yeah, he's 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 gas. All right, uh, Leo the Magic Man says a Weezer. I'm gonna go with um, the Blue Album is underrated. Uh, definitely shaping my childhood quite a bit. That came out when I was in grade school. Uh, great album overall, though. I think they're a little overrated. You know, I've, I've seen them open up for some great bands and stuff before, and they like they leave you wanting a little bit. Yeah, they're definitely overrated. Not a huge fan. Oh, I will say that uh, Say It Ain't So was one of my favorite songs to sing in rock band, though. Oh, yeah, that one's a really great one. Yeoman5 says, sponsoring a football club when you cut $2 million from your prize pool money last year. Obviously, way fucking overrated. We don't need to go into that too much and why. Watsy sponsored a football club? I, apparently, I missed this, so. Jesus fucking Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one also happened. I remember this. Uh, this is, you know, we're a little behind on these, but Kofira says, last minute cutting Thursday from your MPL event, shoving it into Friday, forcing European players to play until 4 a.m. and forcing APEC players to play for nine hours starting at 1 a.m. Obviously massively overrated, massive 
oversight by the company and just an honest disservice to the players. And yet somehow the international player is still crushed. Yep. Uh, I'm going to skip some of these because we've talked about this stuff a lot. Uh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> this one got a lot of reactions, so I'm going to let you answer them. Kyle MTG6 says the libertarian movement. I'm just going to let you answer. I don't care. Oh, my God. If there was ever a political ideology that was more bankrupt, both morally and intellectually, <laughs> it would be the modern libertarians in the United States. Sure. Now, what you have to understand here is that the word libertarian... All right, the short answer, Ross. No, no, you're not getting a short answer. I'm going to cut the you word, off and end the episode. The word libertarian I should have skipped this initially one referred to a more anarchist side of the revolutionary left. And so it's what, it, what the modern movement is, is blatant co-optation of a radical politic to, towards... You know, reactionary ends, which is very common tactic. But this is that on a large scale, they've created this ideology that is supposed to be enlightened. It is the canonical enlightened centrist, right? They tell you that they're, you know, fiscally conservative, but socially liberal. So it makes it seem like, you know, I'm a good person too. Like, you know, I like gay people. I want them to, you know, be able to get married and I want people to have their rights and I want weed to be legal. Um, but I just want all of the economic conditions of the country to favor, uh, rich white men. And, you know, that's fair. Then they somehow create this economic mumbo jumbo to tell you that, that this is a fair way of doing things. And it's complete horseshit. Absolute horseshit. If you ever ran on those principles ever, your economy immediately collapses. It doesn't even work under a capitalist mindset. Like, you know, it just doesn't work at all. It's complete nonsense. And it is also, you know, thinly, it's, they're not, these people aren't actually progressive in any real way, because if you go delve into these issues at all, you know that they have a fundamental economic component because the, you know, economy is the base of, of any society. So, you know, you can't actually do any, you can't, fundamentally correct the social ills of a society without correcting the economic issues that undergird those ills. You know, it's the, the, the fact that these, that people of, uh, from marginalized communities across many different axes have limited access to economic resources and are held down in a very real economic way is a huge part of why they can't escape the, you know, the cycles of poverty and marginalization that they're in. So it literally is you know, complete nonsense uh, intellectually, and is also a very uh, you know easy mask for their own racism and and own bigotry. So, if anyone tells you they're a libertarian, unironically, you can you should immediately disengage. These people are not worth engaging with at all, and they love to debate. Like the libertarian bros, they love they love a good debate. So you, you, they will try to rope you in. They really will, and you should avoid it at all costs. They're not worth engaging with. Many people are. They are not and they are not them. So they're horrible people, every single one of them. If any of you are libertarians, you're horrible too, and I hate you. Jesus. All right. That was how you really feel. I think that's a good one to end on. I think what we should do sometime soon is maybe just do like an extra episode or a quick episode for like an hour where we knock some of these out because we're about 60 or 70. We're about a month behind on some of these or three weeks behind. So we can try to catch up on some of this because some of these are a little uh, time sensitive. So we can make sure we can get that. But 
Uh, I think it's going to do once, it for once, this. Once your travel schedule slows down, yeah. uh, my softball schedule has ended, so w- w- our time yeah. should be opening up in the coming weeks. Yeah. So you, you'll see us more consistently in November, and, and we'll, we'll make I it can find time to get to get another episode done. Yeah, we'll make it up to y'all. But, uh, Ross, if people wanted to hear more about your, your hate, hatred for the Libertarian my Party. unbridled disdain for Libertarians. Yeah, where would they go? Ooh, a very good place to hear that is my Twitter account. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm at Ross Hunneds. Uh, uh, that's H U N N E D S. A uh, good place to keep abreast of all of my magic comings and goings. Uh, also, a good place to ask me questions uh, as I try to get back to people as often as possible. I've already had w- one person ask me about food in Roanoke via Twitter. They asked me where to get sushi. I did respond to them. So, if you're coming to the invitational, uh, you know, general things of like what is the best thing to get, that's a difficult question for me to answer. But if you narrow it down to a type of cuisine, location, uh, you know, budget, any any and all of those qualifications, if you can give me that, I can narrow it down for you and get you to, you know, one, two, three different cho- choices very easily. And I love showing people that there's really good food to eat in Roanoke because there really is. And one of the problems is most of the hotels are up by the airport and the restaurants up there are much, much worse than the restaurants across the rest of the city. But it's not a big city. You can get everywhere pretty quickly. And in particular, the downtown area of Roanoke, which is small, we're not a big city, is just south of the Berglund Center, which is where the, the event's being held. So, you know, you can easily walk from there or, uh, you know, take an Uber from that area where all the hotels are. It's probably a 10 max $15 Uber unless they're, you know, surge pricing out the wazoo. So, Please explore, you know, Roanoke if you're going to be there for the weekend because there's definitely good things to to find. Um, so there's my Twitter account. Then there's my written content on Star City Games. Uh, I told you what my article is about already. It's just the detail of the decks that I'm playing, uh, why I'm playing them, and, and my lists. So Mono White Aggro and uh, an Esper Reanimator with Ephemerate. If you want that, that'll be a good article for you. That'll be should be live now as you're listening to this. Um, then there is a versus live, the web show I host twice a week with Corey Baumeister co-host, I should say. Um, we are not going to have our Thursday show this week because they're going to be setting up for the invitational, uh, but we do have a, a Tuesday show. So if you're listening to this, it's probably already happened, uh, unless Brent is incredibly quick getting this out. Uh, and he might be because he's great. Uh, but rest, uh, you know, even if you couldn't find us, uh, or watch us live, uh, you can find the VOD. Those usually go up the next day. So uh, this Wednesday by 5 p.m. or so Eastern time, that should be up. Uh, but we're there 1 to 4 p.m., usually Tuesdays and Thursdays, Eastern time on the Star City Games Twitch channel. Uh, really fun to to watch us live. We take questions live from the audience. We play whatever formats and decks are most relevant to competitive magic generally, though we throw in some fun episodes from uh, time to time just to keep it interesting, keep it a little spicy. And then finally is my stream. I promise it's coming back. I've been sidetracked this month with a lot of things, so I'm a little bit delayed with that. Uh, but if you want to throw me a follow on um, Twitch uh, so you get notified when I get back to streaming, I am just Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. Tannen, if people want to find your perhaps less inflammatory opinions, mm-hmm. where might they find you? And a lot of uh, brave stuff over the next week. You can find that on yes. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, they, if they want your coverage of the World Series. Yeah. If you want to know who wins the World Series without watching the World Series, just follow me on Twitter at the Tannen Grace. I do have a Twitch under just Tannen Grace. Uh, you could also find me in a few weeks under the channel Fireball Twitch channel. Uh, I'll be doing coverage for uh, the Flesh and Blood event. It's, it's national. It's a calling featuring nationals at Orlando. So that'll be a three-day event, not this weekend coming up, which is the weekend of the Invitational, but the weekend after that. 
So if you're in the area, come say hi. If not, maybe check it out on uh, Twitch. It's channel Fireball, I believe. Slash, you know, TV slash Channel Fireball. Yeah, I think it's just that. I don't think it's Channel Fireball events. I know they have uh, that as well, but I think it's just Channel Fireball. And you just type that into Twitch, you'll find it. Uh, also, make sure you check out our sponsor that we mentioned at the beginning of the show. That's Barrister and Man, man with two ends. BarristerandMan.com. Make sure you check out all their awesome stuff on there. Lots of really cool things for that special guy, girl, or they in your life. And lots of really cool gifts in there with the... Um, the holiday season coming up. I know that I'm buying a few things every year for a few of my friends and a few of my loved ones. So make sure you check out their stuff, make really good gifts. And uh, you might have that special someone in your, in your life that needs to smell a little better. This is a great way to do it or, you know, improve their shaving experience. Lots of really cool stuff. The new, new products coming on there, what feels like weekly. So make sure you check their stuff out again. That's barristerman.com. Use the code MTG rants for 15% off at checkout thanks for listening this week and we'll hopefully have a really good episode for y'all with great uh stories from ross's experience over the weekend and me going to the world series next week so don't miss that goodbye